0: Sean can you tell us about the day that you told your parents that you were moving to Los Angeles and what were the emotions that were going through you at that time
1: Um, so yeah that's interesting because uh, I had been talking about moving to Southern California for a while and I had a very close friend of mine who we had similar dreams similar aspirations and actually in a lot of ways uh, it was him pushing me to Follow my dreams and chase my dreams. Uh, his name is Josh Taylor, um, and uh, he was a incredibly gifted actor, comedian, also musician, singer, the whole nine. He was just one of those people that anything he put his energy into, uh, he excelled. And we had a English class together in uh, junior high. I think is where it first started. And that teacher Mr. Young was his name was amazing he would give Josh like 10 minutes at the end of class to basically do a stand-up routine and he really recognized that energy and Josh pulled me into being a part of it and so that's kind of how I started um, really kind of thinking about it past you know I I grew up in the theater with my father being a drama professor all that so I was in the theater world I was very comfortable but this kind of going up just almost stand up in a way Um, improv uh, was was a little bit newer to me at the time but he kind of really pushed me and so over the years our kind of dream of moving to southern California Los Angeles pursuing the dream of being actors really at that time Um, and uh, what ended up happening is he decided he couldn't go and so I was kind of left last minute um, you know going do I go or do I you know by myself and uh, my parents have always been super supportive they knew for years and years uh, I don't remember the exact moment I told them I was going to move down there but it was just kind of common knowledge Uh, in my hometown I was directing commercials and acting in them uh, since from like 16 years to like 20 years old I'd probably done like 30 commercials and so the kind of creative endeavors were always supported by both my my mom and dad they they thought it was amazing they loved it and they said you know you should you should pursue this so uh, just always support from them there was never like any pushback or anything like that and so it was just a matter of when I was going to go you know and I also did some live performance stuff uh, and uh, I made it onto the news several times just for those kinds of things and again even in those conversations it was so what are you going to do where do you see yourself in the next couple years it was gonna be down in Los Angeles pursuing my dream of making movies You know, it was always that kind of thing so um, the exact moment I don't recall but all those conversations with my parents were always um, you've got to pursue it it's just in you there's something that you have to express and uh, and we support that and so when my A good friend decided at that time he that wasn't the path for him. Uh, Obviously, I was a little scared, and kind of everything that I had planned was was you know now in the open. And both my parents were like, "You got this, you know. You 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 uh, have made this plan. You should follow through with it. You should do it." And um, and so I did. And it was very emotional day the day I left. That was really emotional. We you know uh, helped me pack up a truck and. And uh, with the trailer and kind of everything I owned packed up in there, and and uh, ventured out uh, on, on my own, which just a week earlier I thought was gonna be, you know, with me and my best friend. And um, but yeah, I, I I did it, and no regrets. And and uh, uh, I think I've always been adventurous in that way, like big big life decisions. Uh, met and married my wife within one month, um, and we've done uh, some. Uh, you know, buying from buying houses to to just uprooting and moving we've done these things she's very much spontaneous that way as well and so we've we've kind of done a lot of big life decisions we'll we'll spontaneously make a choice and just go with it and I think what we understand is that we're going to have an adventure no matter what and that uh, you know and I, that's kind of my mindset as, as well I'm like let's just go for it you know let's see what happens and uh, and uh uh, and luckily my parents were very supportive in that way
0: that's awesome do, do you still keep in touch with Josh
1: so we reconnected years later um, and yes so we still keep in touch full circle kind of coming back he he uh, lives in Portland now mm-hmm. and married has a wonderful family kid uh, and uh, he still plays music and uh, um, and has a band and all of that so I was doing my second feature uh, when we kind of reconnected. Through social media you know it was one of those things and uh, and I said I've got this sequence in this movie it's an action movie and it is this guy trying to go the straight and narrow so he's trying to uh, you know, do the right thing in life and not be part of this criminal underworld and his friends in the criminal underworld they're trying to do this kind of heist thing without him and so the, in the movie, it's cross-cut between him trying to get a regular job and them going and trying to shoot up this speakeasy, and both scenes are playing out. You know, they're cross-cutting with each other, and I just had this vision of Josh singing this song, just him and an acoustic guitar, this kind of slow melodic thing that I knew he could do really well from way back when we were kids, and uh, so when we reconnected, I went, "Ah, oh, I've got this. I'm doing this movie and." And would you be willing to do an original song for it and so that kind of you know full circle friendship came back and uh, and he did it's the song is awesome the very first version he sent me it was it he was like tell me if you want changes you want no And I, of course I told him the story I told him what was going on and he wrote the lyrics that, that kind of matched with it and but the very first version he sent me I just it was it and I was like nope I don't need anything else this is what's going to go in the movie and and it did and Uh, and uh, and everybody loved that scene that was like the scene people talked about in the movie so that was a really cool thing to be able to reconnect with him and and I hope to do some more in the future to get him to do some music uh, for them would be amazing
0: very cool did you almost not drive down since since your sort of partner in crime your 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 friend that you sounds like you looked up to him too a lot um, decided that he didn't want to go
1: I think that there was definitely that moment. I think there was definitely that uh, moment of, of, you know, self doubt or could I do this on my own? Especially because it kind of had been this joint dream of ours, you know. Um, but again, I think I had support from my family and all of that. That that. Uh, but sure, I definitely had that moment and felt that way. But uh, ultimately, uh, I think through the experiences in my life, the family support also martial arts training I, I trained martial art from very very young I think that probably gave me the confidence to overcome any of those doubts um, and uh, um, but yeah definitely had it definitely was there definitely sure. was you know questioning that uh, whether or not to do it
0: so you're driving down the five of course obeying the speed limit I'm sure right
1: you know with that big old trailer I was probably going slower than the the speed limit and the grapevine was scary I'm not even gonna lie the grapevine coming over that hill in that it was a it was a old Chevy S10 it was four cylinder it was gutless and then having this big old trailer pulling behind was uh, that was uh, very interesting
0: right and then you see the part where it's like if your brakes fail you can go up this thing you're like why are they telling me that yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) Sean if someone were to tell you that filmmaking is a pipe dream what would you tell them
1: I've always been a believer in in and again my parents have probably uh, get all the credit for this but you can accomplish anything you set your mind to so there's many things that can be a pipe dream uh, if you let them be a pipe dream but if it's really in your core and your soul and your energy to pursue being a filmmaker uh, I think you have to pursue it Um, and that's really up to you if if you are uh, someone who has to express yourself that way Um, and uh, uh, I also come from that mindset and maybe it's the martial arts uh, but also family is that never give up never surrender type of uh, attitude so for me uh, I have pursued this business in a I think an interesting way I, I've done just about every job you can do in filmmaking uh, from hair and makeup to <laughs> you know to stunt coordination to, to I, I've always been and I had a mentor early on in this business who told me to diversify or die and I've really kind of took that to heart and as long as I was working on a film or television show I viewed it as number one educational uh, to to the ultimate goal which is you know directing for myself Um, I viewed it as an education and I was getting to be a part of something that I love which is telling stories Uh, so um, I think pipe dreams are uh, only limited by your own drive Um, and so again if you don't give up I believe you can make it so uh, a lot of the people that I have uh, been lucky enough to collaborate with over the years uh, the stories are almost the same it's they didn't give up and all these overnight successes you you read or hear about they're usually 10 years 20 years in the making uh, and so it's those people that, with that drive, that uh, end up having success on a, on a multitude of different levels.
0: How many people were in the town where you grew up?
1: Uh, roughly like thirty 000 to fifty thousand people. Uh, it's is kind of the population when I was when I was growing up. It's probably more now. Uh, but it was also a college town, so when college students were in it, it was like double
0: did they have a film program
1: there or do they uh, at the time? I don't know if they have a film there is a lot of theater so like uh, my father was a drama professor he directed two plays a year he produced Shakespeare in the park so there's a lot of arts that way um, as far as film goes I think you can study some film at both Chico State and uh, and uh, butte college but I don't know if it's a full-blown film program at least it wasn't when I grew up there maybe they do have something like that now
0: so did you ever drive down or, or fly down from Chico to the LA area and see what it was like here?
1: I did. So I still have family who uh, were down in Southern California, both San Diego, some in, in Los Angeles. So um, I did spend time. And also my grandparents, when I was younger, they still lived in Chatsworth. So I spent time there for that. And then uh, also I would come down for summers and visit family. Um, I, I visited my family down in San Diego from probably like 14 through like 20 I would come down every summer and stay with my aunt and uncle um, and uh, so yeah so I was very familiar with Southern California it wasn't uh, uh, it wasn't a culture shock when I moved down here in that way. Um, I, there was other things that you know sure I, I wasn't expecting but uh, um, I at what? least had some inkling you know well I think uh, um, moving to uh, LA itself I think I didn't fully grasp what traffic meant you know even living in San Diego there's traffic but when you live live in Los Angeles like really fully understanding oh that it's 5 miles away but that still means an hour in traffic you know like that <laughs> I think those kinds of things I couldn't prepare for um, And uh, you know, um, I certainly think what I actually thought was interesting is sometimes Los Angeles might get a bad rap, like oh everybody's so rude or this or that. I think I kind of had an opposite experience. I'm like, man, people are actually really nice, and you know, people say hello to me all the time, and you know, like so almost I became a defender of of Los Angeles in that way. I'm sure that there's rude people everywhere, and especially in traffic, that's when you get the rude people, I think, but. Uh, you know, walking around the streets of, of, you know, everywhere. I mean, Hollywood to to, to Burbank to uh, you know the Valley. Um, I've met such wonderful people and, and created such great friendships. And so, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, misnomer. I think same thing with New York. You hear that you know, that New York people might have a chip on their shoulder or something. And, but again, if you go there and experience it and live there, I think you you'll find a lot of great people too.
0: Sure. Well, it seems like too that you can you kind of have a way of fitting into any environment you go in I get that sense that you you adapt I guess that's
1: probably true yeah, yeah. I think uh-huh. I'm very adaptable and I try and uh, find common ground with people and I believe that's probably a, a great tool to have if you're going to be a collaborator so myself as a, a director or somebody who's captain you know, being the captain of that ship I try and lead through uh, that idea of collaboration like we're all working together for the same goal I'm definitely not a it's my way or the highway guy I I do have a strong vision and I do know what I want but I'm open to you know all the different ideas that can make that vision even better than maybe what I was expecting so um, uh, you know, so I'm very open-minded that way and I think that that open-mindedness is what allows me to be adaptable and and fit in and work in different situations and um, I've just found it very useful I think obviously uh, given my parents and family credit but also the martial arts angle of it I think uh, the philosophy of martial arts is is very much that way um, studying something called Tai Chi uh, it is all about accepting energy and redirecting it versus you know trying to like you know, go head on, you know, blunt force, uh, you know, trauma with something. It's more about accepting that energy, redirect. If it's something negative, you can let it just go right by you. Um, if it's something useful, you can accept it and maybe redirect it in, in the way that you're, um, you know, uh, approaching a problem solving ish, uh, situation or, um, you know, being creative.
0: Knowing that you had this quote unquote filmmaking dream and you, you figured you were definitely coming to la and this was going to be your path what were the three obstacles the biggest obstacles that held you back from maybe initially achieving it or from Um,
1: yeah okay I think <clears throat> think some of the biggest obstacles were maybe just kind of coming from that maybe smaller town mentality like it growing up becoming a filmmaker didn't even actually seem like a plausible dream you know uh, it just wasn't even something that I really thought about it's like oh no you got to go to college you got to get your you know got to get your uh, associate's degree you know like it just seemed like a different path so as I started you know when I made that leap and moved down to Southern California I didn't go right to LA and so maybe there was part of that just not you know fully believing uh, it is really possible I think part of me was like yes it's possible and then other parts of me were like oh that's just a you know how would you even do that how would you even accomplish that so I think that that kind of uh, maybe self-doubt is definitely probably one of the bigger obstacles um, I think just logistics like like figuring out what am I going to do when I get there like how how are you gonna um, you know just pay rent um, so that's probably some of it um, and then uh, again education I think taking those I took a, uh, some uh, film history classes in in college um, and that really opened my eyes and then also having a teacher I took a creative writing class and then discovered he also taught a script writing class and so I ended up taking that as well so I think some of that education also helped um, uh, me decide that yes I could you know pursue this in, in at some level
0: um, and sorry, didn't sorry to interrupt, but you no. actually took the same class three times.
1: So the, the the history of film class that was was taught at San Marcos College uh, down in um, San Diego area was a great class. So I took the first class, and it was Alfred Hitchcock, and so we went through the um, his film history, like from the very first film he did all the way to the last film. And uh, we didn't watch every film, but we, you know, from the different eras, we he would pick a film and we'd watch it. And so we broke it down. We studied the techniques, we the different things that they, you know, the filmmaker would like to do, and uh, how they interacted with actors, like the full thing. It was fascinating, and I loved it. And uh, at the uh, end of the semester, I asked him, you know, do you do the same? filmmaker every time he goes no every semester is different I like well who are you doing next he's I'm, well I'm going to do uh, Stanley Kubrick I'm like oh my god I got to take this class again so I did I ended up taking it three times uh, during my time there and studied three different filmmakers and uh, I didn't get credit at all on the basically just auditing the class um, but I just really wanted to learn about those filmmakers and so I think that was a really great education um, and then it was a different teacher for the creative writing and script writing but I think after getting that education uh, probably helped boost my confidence, uh, and then I met and married my wife, and she was like, "Why are we in San Diego?" And I had done a short film, and she loved it. Uh, she was, uh, you know, uh, rooting in my corner. She's like, "This is amazing. You've got to go." And we put it in some film festivals and did good with it. But, um, but it was really her saying, "You can do all this from San Diego, but you know, why not?" go and try you know, try it up there and so we did we moved up there on a whim and uh, the rest is history I ended up I was doing personal training when I first moved uh, to LA to, to pay the bills um, but I got a job really quickly in uh, in um, uh, production being a PA and doing all that stuff no job was ever too small for me I was never afraid of hardware I did extra extra work as well and I would I would bring a a uh, notebook and pen and I would take notes and I would study and try and learn like I viewed it as an opportunity to get on set and see what it's all about learn the terms what do they all mean what's that person going to be in a mark okay what you know what's minimal focus distance mean I, I literally would would try and learn every aspect of what was going on uh, and again I felt I treated it like I was getting paid to get an education so <clears throat> So I had no problem I did I did extra work for probably nine months ended up getting my SAG card through that Um, uh, and at the same time I was personal training and then I got the PA job on a tv show and uh, I self through my own little short films and things like that in commercials I had taught myself how to edit uh, on 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 a mac uh, one of the early like uh, iMovie and final cut was first coming out and the whole adobe suites were just starting out when I was was doing that and so I taught myself all the all the different little tools from photoshop to after effects um, uh, you know to editing and uh, so I had some of those skills for my own short films and that pa job I did on a television show of course I put on my resume I can do final cut I can do after effects I can do that <clears throat> and it wasn't even a week into that production when they said hey we saw you do after effects on uh, on your resume and like we were under you know some crazy deadlines do you think you could help with some rotoscoping I'm like oh yeah I've done that before you know so they gave me a couple shots and I did them I turned them in they're like oh this looks really good do you think you could do some more I Go sure sure yeah oh, no problem so I think that attitude of always just being there ready to help ready to work helped me excel uh through through this business like like wildfire. So one week into being a coffee runner on this TV show the very next week, so I stayed and they go, "Well, do you think you can work on a Saturday and help us?" No problem, I'll be there. Showed up, helped did did many different things for visual effects, not just rotoscoping. I ended up compositing some pieces, I ended up um, doing some like uh, lighting effects and different things in there. Uh, by that Monday, I was uh, a VFX uh, artist on the show then one week later I became the lead green screen uh, effects artist on the show so just within two weeks just because I was ready to go I was willing to put in the work and um, just having that positive attitude and also uh, um, like we first started talking about this being able to kind of uh, blend in or or fit into any situation Um, having that flexibility is I think what helped me excel and that happened on other shows as well Um, I was a assistant stunt coordinator on a show and literally the third day of filming I ended up becoming the second unit director on that show oh wow and it literally had to do with I think perception is also being perceptive is also a handy tool Um, I was helping the, the stunt coordinator helped with casting all the stunt uh, uh, people for this show and it was an action oriented show so we had to choreograph and rehearse and do all these things and I saw the executive producer pacing on like day two back and forth frustrated and uh, just being you know just trying to be a nice guy just said, hey are you okay You know, he starts telling me (laughs) about how they're they're not making their days, and and they don't know what to do, and uh, the director's moving too slow, and and I just threw out there, just going, hey, well, you know, the stunt coordinator and myself, we're both directors, and I had actually already directed a feature at that point, and uh, I said, if you gave us a camera, we could, you know, more than uh, likely help you guys film stuff and and hopefully make your day said whatever scenes you want to give us whatever pieces you want to give us I know we could handle it and the very next day he showed up with with a little like skeleton camera crew and said Sean all right you're gonna second unit direct this stuff which at that point I got actually a little bit terrified because I was now going over my boss's head the stunt coordinator because like the second unit director is almost the next step up and so I immediately went to him Oh my gosh I told him that you and I are both directors because we have both directed that us as a team could help I didn't say that I should be the (laughs) director you know and and luckily he's a great friend of mine I've probably done the most work with him than anybody else Mm -hmm. in this business Uh, Noel Vega is his name a wonderful wonderful uh, uh, friend and uh, collaborator in this business for me we we've probably done over 100 projects together Because we've worked on video games together we've worked on stunt stuff we he's been a producer and I've been a director on projects uh, tell entire television series we've done together so we've really done a lot of stuff over the years and just he's also one of my mentors and kind of like that big brother uh, in this industry uh, for myself but so I was mortified in that situation going I I by no means was trying to go over your head or try and pass you up and uh, luckily he was like I'm so busy as the stunt coordinator he's like you go do this you go do it and he championed me for that and and uh, it worked out well because whatever I shot was good enough for them I guess and so then I became the second unit director for the whole series and then ended up fully directing several episodes as the season went on and into season two
0: but that's an important lesson it sounds like because you learned to like go to him so it didn't seem like you were trying to go behind his back yes that's a very stereotypical thing that happens in this industry and people do it all the time, and yeah, maybe try you built this on other people, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I found out.
1: Well, at least it's been my experience that loyalty, um, in a positive way, obviously there could you know loyalty could, in certain situations, maybe not be a great thing, but sure, most situations is a good thing. But but for myself, my personal experience, loyalty has been a very um, positive uh, tool, um, and I've only grown. From those loyalties and those friendships and those, you know, I've never, and I'm just not that person as well. I don't want to ever, you know, betray or step on somebody to get to get to that next level. I'm much more the person. Let's all build ourselves up together. We're stronger as a team. And you know, I love the whole brat pack and the Rat Packs and that whole idea. Like, let's make our own film family and and grow and uh, and and uh, uh, do it that way. Uh, versus I'm going to climb to the top and step on whoever I can to get there you know I think in some ways it's a slower process right Uh, not just stepping on people and getting to the top as fast as you can Um, but obviously I think it's a more fulfilling way to do it and I have stayed positive and happy in this business I've been in it now 20 years Um, versus feeling you know jaded or <laughs> uh, hate myself for the things that I've done you know what I mean uh, type of thing
0: can I ask you what was your first job growing up like an after school job
1: oh my gosh um,
0: I don't know why it's coming to my it's like I'm well, seeing like you doing something and I can't totally see what it is but it I was like you're busy
1: uh, I, yeah you know I'm one of those people who likes doing a lot of things at once like if you give me one task it's probably way harder for me than if you give me three <laughs> tasks right so I think uh, uh, my first job, technically my very first job, was teaching martial arts. Oh, really? So that's what it was, and uh, kind of, I would I would teach a class here and there.
0: As a teenager?
1: As a teenager, and then I went and got a job at Taco Bell, uh-huh. and I worked at Taco Bell because I really wanted to save up for the Honda Civic Hatchback. Nice. You know, okay. I was like 15 and a half, and I started working at Taco Bell and my martial arts master uh, the, the 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 head honcho of the system the karate it was a shorin-ru karate um, a very, very traditional Okinawan karate he came through the drive-through and he saw me there and he's like why are you working here and I go what do you mean why am I working here I'm gonna I'm saving up for this car and and he goes but you could be working at the dojo and I'm like I can he goes yeah I'll pay you to teach classes like so I did so I I I did work there for a little while longer but then I I went to the to the uh, school to the martial arts school and I taught full-time for years and years and but I did have multiple jobs still I also worked in a stereo store I also worked at a local uh, baseball (laughs) like for the baseball seasons I would go and work there so I always liked having a lot of jobs and and then I also started directing those commercials at that same period so yeah I had like three or four jobs kind of always uh, going on but uh, but martial arts I guess it was because I did teach some classes so it's either martial arts or taco bell toss-up between the two but um, those were the first jobs
0: what a great story so he when you went to give him his order like he said yeah I'll have the number I was two working the drive and right and then okay great did you want <laughs> the, sauce and, the little heads, yeah. and then and then you're like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, him yeah, okay yeah, yeah well that's a great moment right yeah there. it
1: was it was pretty uh it was pretty funny and uh and just the look on his face he's like no come teach at the school you know so but i you know what i think working at taco bell also taught me a lot of great lessons and sure. people skills um, yeah. yeah yeah i it's it's uh, uh all of those i think all of those things are important and and i have kids and i want them to get you know they're going to have to earn a car in the same way i did i had to i saved up you now my parents did help me with some i think they paid for the insurance and stuff like that on the car but mm-hmm. um, i think there was something so fulfilling about that experience and and earning something like that, I think it was twenty seven hundred dollars at the time for the car,
0: wow. and
1: I that took me you know six months at Taco Bell and and several more months at teaching martial arts to save up for it. But I did, and I just <clears throat> I loved that car. I mean that was you know because I earned it. You know it's the first like bigger item that I earned. So, certainly something in the thousands of dollars. You know I'd bought. In, uh, saved up and bought bikes and things like that but never um, you know i think that's a part of that coming of age and you know oh, yeah. all that stuff so what was the
0: first song you blasted through the stereos cuz did you get your oh, stereo from the
1: stereo store of course oh you did of okay. course and i had a really <laughs> big boom in stereo it was ridiculous and what
0: was absolutely the first absolutely ridiculous
1: Wait, oh man did you go
0: down to like a cruise strip around oh, of course of course
1: <laughs> i'm trying to think of what it would have been at the time um, I, I like smaller
0: the... towns. Have that where oh, you like yeah. go in oh, yeah. circles. Oh yeah, and they, especially right. yeah. downtown Chico. It's definitely
1: a cruise. That's you do a loop, and and we would. When I was sixteen, we would do the loop. We would circle several times, and and thought we were very cool uh, with our ridiculous stereos. Um, it's
0: a rite of passage. Yeah, yeah, everybody's definitely, do it. definitely. Yeah. felt like
1: uh, an '80s version of American Graffiti. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was very much that. Um, which is funny because I've shot several movies in Petaluma and that's American Graffiti was, was shot uh, some of it was shot there as well the whole cruising the strip was shot in Petaluma
0: oh very cool yeah. Um,
1: but uh, yeah I'm trying to remember I, I listen to such a variety of music I also play music so I play guitar and bass and mess around on the drums and stuff so I've always have such a respect for music kind of in all genres so I honestly, I, you know, maybe I don't listen to as much country, but there's still a lot of country that I really view as amazingly, you know, uh, artistic and talented people performing it. So I will listen. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, opera. Maybe I, I'm not an opera guy every day on my stereo, but there's some amazing music and such amazing talent that I have respect for it. So. Um, I'm trying to think of what oh, I mean okay. everything from Tom Petty to Oh
0: nice. Okay. to uh,
1: might have been a Tom Petty song. I listened a lot. Great. I lo- used to love the Cars back then. Oh yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I played a lot of that. But then I'd play uh, the opposite end of the spectrum. I would play, you know, uh, Bob Marley to Zapp and Roger to Frank Zappa to you know, like I really <laughs> I really was uh, I, I kind of have a very broad spectrum of music that I love. Eric Clapton I was like obsessed with Eric Clapton when I was 16. Nice. That's kind of that's when I was really getting into playing the guitar and stuff, was listening to everything he did. Um, so,
0: okay.
1: yeah. Probably Tom Petty or something. Probably Free Fallen. Right, okay. There probably you go, blasting right. and, you know, <laughs> head out the window like Ace Ventura at the time or something. And the
0: arm, too. Yeah, the arm. Yeah, out oh, the yeah, yeah,
1: totally, totally. Yeah.
0: When you first moved to Los Angeles and started working, whether it was a little side job or in the industry, did you work any jobs for free? Were you willing to take unpaid work?
1: So yes, uh, I did lots of pro bono work and just to get experience or um, you know that kind of stuff. Again, you have to do it to a degree because of course you still have to make sure you're doing something to earn you know some kind of income to to pay rent and get some food and all of that. Um, but yeah, there was plenty of times and I did it for years, not every time, but I, something would come up like, Hey, this is a unpaid gig, but we we could use some help or, you know, anytime I had the opportunity, once I got a little bit of stability with work, I would still do those. Um, I don't do it as much anymore just because I don't have the time. Um, but if those windows of time do open up, I, you know, never have an issue with volunteering some time uh, to help somebody out. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, there was a bunch of credit-building stuff that I was willing to do. Because um, again, I would view it as, a like, like I said, an education. I knew I was going to learn something, and I knew I was going to meet some new people. And those two things are incredibly valuable, especially in this business. Um, you hear all the time, it's who you know. That's 100% true. That is what this business is. It is who you know. It's the relationships you build. It's not... Necessarily, though, oh, somebody's giving favoritism or whatever. I'm sure those things happen too, but it is about if you came and volunteered on somebody's shoot and you did a great job uh, helping them with whatever it was. When they have a paid job, they're going to call you too. You know what I mean? And uh, that's that's how it works. Um, and uh, and those friendships and those and even just business relationships uh, have almost always led to. A paying job in some way shape or form um, and uh, I tell people all the time when they're asking about getting into this business like what's the what's the best thing I could do I said create something just create doesn't even matter what it is put some energy into it put some creative energy and create something because you're gonna call some friends and see if they're available they're gonna ask some people whatever however that's gonna work and you're gonna create something now you can show people something you've created and at the same time you've now strengthened some relationships or maybe met some new people and that network starts building up of who you know and and they now know what you do and you know it kind of goes from there Um, i've had people who i hadn't worked with in six years call me up for a job because whatever impression i made way back then it somehow came around and I came up or they saw me on social media posting something and here's my new you know short film on YouTube and they go "Oh, I remember him I worked with him on that, you know and so it's all about that it's all about relationship building so um, doing the free jobs to me it's always um, beneficial if you have the means to do it obviously put yourself out on the street because you're taking 20 free jobs and you have no way to pay your bills, but within reason um, I say do it because you're going to gain experience and you're also going to gain uh, uh, relationships.
0: Of those times that you worked for free, for credit, for something on your reel, whatever, how much of that actually led to paid work down the line?
1: I think that, that uh, quite a few of them did. And again, I think it has to do with how much energy you're willing to put into something I never approached a free job as like, ah, it's a free job. I'm gonna half, you know, half-ass this job. I always approached it as I'm gonna do the best I can do, work as hard as I can to help the project be successful. Um, And I think because of that mindset and attitude, I made enough of an impression on people that, that they wanted to hire me for when they got the paying gig or whatever, you know what I mean? So I think, again, I think almost every one of those jobs I met and and created a friendship or or working relationship with at least a few people on each one of those sets that then led to me getting called for something else even if it was low paying you know like hey can you help out with this you know I enjoyed working with you on that can you uh you know I am really trying to think of any that that led kind of that never got a phone call that way but um I just I can't really think of one that didn't. I think they all kind of led in some way. Sometimes it wasn't right away, like I said, Um, uh, but they eventually, um, almost all of them led to something positive in that way. Uh, And again, it's I think just chalking it up to to hard work, not being afraid of hard work. You know, Um, luckily I think. Again, my family, my parents ingrained that into me enough uh, <laughs> that uh, I've never been afraid to put that work in and, and be the last person on set. And you know, uh, even as a director, when I can get away with it, I'll help put stuff away. Certain job you know, union issues, you can't do that. But um, if I am in that situation where I can, I do. And I'll go, why is the director carrying C stands? Like because we're all in this together. You know what I mean? Um, I, obviously it doesn't get to work out that way every time, but when it does, I was overseas doing a, a project and they didn't have the same uh, rules, so I was there loading trucks with all of them, you know, um, and trying not to get in the way, because sometimes you can get in their way, you know, <laughs> like, and now I'm making us go slower because I don't know what I'm doing, but, uh, you know, when, it, when it's appropriate, then I try and help out whenever I can.
0: And I love your website in that you, you not only have great photos of you on set and things like that, but you, you say, here's who I've worked with, here's what I do, and you really like break it down. And I was very impressed with how you did it. And you did you do it in a fun way where it's not, <laughs> it's not like you're, you, it's over the top. You know, I, I, I was very impressed with that. I don't Thank think you. I've seen that before. Thank you. Uh, yeah, a lot of that credit
1: needs to go to actually my cousin, uh, Jeremy okay. Dunn. Who helped me build that website?
0: Oh, very cool! Um, and
1: he's really great with that stuff. And and uh, and I felt so just humbled that the the actors that I worked with they gave such great quotes. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I deserve this, but they they really were helpful in that way. And and uh, I really really appreciated um, them putting the time into even putting some of those responses. And um, but yeah, it was always the goal to kind of just make it presentable and like here's here's what I do and. And uh, um, uh, you know, obviously, the goal is to make myself hireable. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and uh, um, and uh, kind of showcase some of the things that I you know hopefully help me stand apart, uh, maybe from the pack, um, with with my experiences from from the action side of things to the visual effects side of things, um, uh, and I think that's also an important. Thing to think about for any aspiring filmmakers is, is uh, you know, figuring out what you can do that helps you uh, stand apart or um, makes you at least uh, unique in some certain way. Because uh, those little things can help, you know, can help you uh, maybe edge edge out the competition. For uh I've certainly had it where. Um, Not only the action side of things have helped get me jobs, but also the visual effects side. And the combination of both sometimes has has helped me Um, because, you know, I'll get, hey, you know, we want you to direct this because we know you're also really good at action. I've gotten that call a bunch of times where instead of just hiring a director who maybe doesn't have that experience, it's the combination of those experiences that have helped get me the job. Or like with visual effects, um, I got a pretty big TV series based on my experience with visual effects and obviously directing. They liked my directing, good that checked that box. But now it's a it's a VFX heavy show. Oh my gosh, he's also a VFX consultant. Like wow, okay that checks another box. He can work directly with the visual effects artists and make sure that they're shooting it correctly. And so that helps just edge me out. So having those skills um, in, for those things are, are what helps me in a lot of situations um, to maybe get hired for a job. <clears throat> but it could be many, you know, a variety of, of tool sets that you have. Um, but it's, it's I think, important to, uh, you know, lean into those things and try and present those things and let, make sure people know that you can do those things. Like, you know, if you're a, Uh, you know, somebody who's amazing with horses or whatever. That could actually be a big skill. I could help you direct a movie about rodeos or, you know what I mean? Like, so all those things are are kind of important to help you stand out for, for what you do. You know what I mean?
0: And without, of course, naming names, what was one of the worst grunt jobs you ever had, and how did you get through it? Because I, I get the sense that you try to take a positive spin with <laughs> yes, everything, yes. even if it's not positive, yeah, and, and yeah. I admire that. Um, maybe just one that was so unbearable, but somehow you got through it. And I don't know if you took something with you in terms of learning something, or you yeah, met always, always
1: it. yeah, always, always learning. I think. I mean, I guess the grip work is—it's a, a lot of physical work, so that was tough but uh, it wasn't like I didn't feel bad you know during the experience so that's tough to say that I, I had a great time <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> but that's good. Um, there's been a there was a job where I was a second AD and just the conditions were so tough I think that was the like below freezing oh, temperatures nice. and then blazing hot in the day we're out in the middle of the Mojave Desert so and <clears throat> I was asked to be the first AD on it but I kind of got, I don't know how to say it exactly, but I, I just got a bad feeling about the project, so I tried actually not to do it. But I had uh, some, some other friends who really wanted the job, like want, needed the work, and by me turning it down, then I wouldn't be able to get all of them onto the project. So I said, look, I'm not going to be the first AD because uh, I just, I smell a disaster coming, basically. and. I said, look, I will help you. I said, why don't you, to one of my friends, I said, how about you be the first AD? I'll be your second, and uh, you know I'll I'll help you with whatever you need help with um, uh, if you wanna do it. I said, but I'm warning you right now that we probably shouldn't do this. And uh, it just had to do with the people involved and, and lack of experience and the extreme conditions we were gonna be in. So I knew that it was gonna be difficult in a way that shouldn't be difficult, you know? And that's like in the way of like making sure people are taken care of and all of that. And sure enough, we <laughs> trying to survive the the desert in, in that time that we were in the below freezing temperatures and um, not having adequate uh, things like warming tents and stuff like that to keep cast, number one, warm. And we did end up, some people ended up getting hypothermia and yeah, it was bad, Ooh. it was bad. Um, but uh, we made it through it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there was a, that was a very very interesting experience, and of course, I learned a ton from that experience. I learned, uh, chief among them, that you know what to accept and not accept, um, because we said yes to certain things that we should not have said yes to, because it, it ended up being um, uh, dangerous. You know, like physically dangerous for some for for certain things. So, um, but but again, I don't regret the experience because again, uh, what I learned from it really really helped me. Literally on, I think it was two projects later. I'm like, nope. Here's the life experience I now have from this. This is why I won't do this, and this is why I think you guys shouldn't do this. And they actually listened to me. They go, okay, all right, fair enough. Blah blah blah. You know. So it was actually became a tool for myself on on another project. Of having that experience and going look we had two actresses that got hypothermia do you want it oh no we don't okay well then this is what I think you should do here's the steps I think that we didn't take on this project that I think should have been taken and um, so by doing that I had that experience to draw from and if the actresses were fine they they recovered and everything but um, but uh, yeah it was that was a difficult one to get through probably the most Uh, probably the most and I guess as a second idea I don't know if that's really considered a grunt job but um, that was the most difficult one I think
0: a producer gave you some advice that was pretty lasting yeah
1: so um, I, I was a personal trainer at the time and I was still you know I was doing short films and 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 all of that stuff I think I was making my first feature which was a back alley you know Group of friends putting their credit cards, you know, into the pot and just making a making a film. Uh, I think I was doing that at the time, and I was uh, he was somebody who was very integral developing the Fast and the Furious franchise as well as the the show um, Twenty Four, and uh, he just happened to be one of my clients, and and we uh, you know became friends uh, from the whole thing, and he was gave me some great advice Uh, um, and one of the things he he told me was number one he said don't be a a a-hole that was one of the biggest rules so this business is so small that if you're a jerk it's going to come back around Um, so that was one of the first things he told me (laughs) he's like and he was very colorful in the way he explained it but um, he's like that PA that you're working with on set one week a year later they might be producing the show that you're working on you know, it's that that's the way this business works. So, if you're a jerk to that extra, they might be the star of some show in, in a year or two. So, you just never, you know, you should never uh, treat people, you know, poorly. And especially, I mean, that's just in life, but especially in this business because it, it is really so small, you end up going to have to work with the same people again, most likely. And uh, the other thing he told me was if I really wanted to pursue being a creator, a storyteller, a filmmaker, to never be a you know no job is too small. Never be afraid of of being the coffee runner or being the in charge of extras or whatever it is, and also to diversify. So the business was changing so much at that time. It was when uh, digital was just coming out. It was kind of taking over everything, um, and. Uh, uh, even dvds and that whole blu-ray everything that was the industry was just shifting and shifting and shifting so he told me to diversify or die those were his exact words if you want to make it and survive in this business diversify or die and I took that to heart and that's why if you look up my credits you'll see I've done so many different jobs is because I basically adopted the attitude of uh, just not turning down a job so if I was offered a job and I had the ability to do it and I had the the time to do it um, that I would do it and and again it goes back to that viewing it as uh, uh, an, an education it's like oh I'm going to learn about this and he also told me that same thing of look if you learn what it is to be a, a grip and if you learn what what it takes to be the the you know, uh, art department if you learn those things it's going to make you a better director because you'll understand what it takes to do those jobs and you'll understand what they're going through to do those jobs in the same respect of it's a very important for a director to be understand acting because you'll then be able to uh, understand the process or understand that there is a process with actors and be able to sympathize with them or help enable them tell their truth in that role same thing with uh, editing As a director I think it's so important to understand editing because you understand what you're shooting Um, there are directors who are not editors um, but I think you need to have a certain understanding of that in order to be effective it helps you with time management on set it helps you when you know you have your scene you you don't need to shoot four more angles that you'll never use and be on the cutting room floor because you know you have the scene it's there you've got all the pieces you need Um, so those two things I already knew were important to be a director but I didn't think about the other stuff the the what is the gaffer doing what is the grips doing what are the makeup and hair and you know kind of learning all those different departments it's only going to help you become a better director is what he told me and and uh, so I took that to heart and I took every job I could take I did everything I could do and and just felt like it was a an education for me Um, and and would just help me be better at the job that I was trying to uh, pursue.
0: Do you ever feel guilty turning down work?
1: Um, you mean now?
0: Yeah, my, my, my sense is that you're, you're eager and you love what you do. That if if an opportunity comes up, you almost feel bad if you can't take it because maybe if you're totally committed <laughs> to something else.
1: Yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh-huh. And uh, what's interesting uh, and 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 topical right now is that I had to back out of directing a film. Uh, overseas because of the pandemic and actually I was over there when it started getting really bad I was over there prepping and it's going to be a fantastic film I am uh, now kind of jealous that I didn't get to direct it but um, when this whole thing first came up I started getting bad and and, uh, was definitely really worried about getting home because it became uh, one of those things of uh you know at the time they're like you know what we, you could just stay a couple extra weeks and wait it out and then when it's safe to travel again you know it was one of those and but what what ended up happening was the international flights started canceling like just stopping all international flights and i went oof i think i'm going to have to go home because i can't get stuck here uh i've got a family and all that so i did i ended up getting home uh and uh um, the last weekend where those international flights were flying, I got home and uh, did the quarantine, did all that stuff, got tested, and I was fine. But uh, the it, the whole thing got pushed because of it, and but then it came down to this thing where when they wanted to shoot, it still was just not a safe time to be to go and travel, and and the worry of being able to get home was so, uh, you know just too big of a worry it was just too much uh, to to be able to commit and go there and do it and I felt horrible turning that down because I had committed to doing this project with with these wonderful filmmakers and uh, um, uh, some of which I had really dreamed about working with for a long time uh, because they were a big part of Asian cinema like with with you know, Jet Li and Jackie Chan and all of that and so I had to turn it down I felt so so bad um, but obviously it's not under my control it was out of my control um, the whole situation so but uh, yeah I think I do uh, feel that way because um, I just enjoy I enjoy creating and, and helping tell stories and in, in whatever the capacity whether it's you know, even if it's stunt coordinating, that's still you're part of telling that story. You're part of telling the the story of the action of how it's happening and unfolding. And I just love, I love that process. So, um, uh, and I think there's also that element of feeling like you might be able to help somebody, uh, and then not being able to, you know, having to say no, I can't help you, because <laughs> I get those those uh, calls. Uh, you know, fairly often it's it's somebody usually when they're calling me because they need your piece of expertise or something uh, that you know you might be able to be that puzzle piece for them. And then when you're not available, uh, obviously that's that sucks. But I always try and recommend somebody. I'm like, call this person, or I'm definitely that that way as well. I really love to to if I can't do it, get somebody else the work. You know what I mean? Um, and so I do that.
0: We're going to break the fourth wall here and <laughs> we are going to title this video how to get four movies on Netflix in two years now we just need you to give us the nuts and bolts of how that happens and then we can put that title on it okay so um, now uh, uh-huh.
1: um, are you saying from start to finish
0: yeah what, what what so what are the four movies and what are their genres maybe we'll start with that
1: okay sure sure mm-hmm. so uh, yeah I have was lucky enough to uh, get to direct and and work on uh, four films that have all been released in this year 2020 on Netflix um, which is kind of mind-boggling I was never planned that way I think uh, um, this year has brought a lot of curveballs and um, a lot of people were looking for a lot of content so it kind of worked out but the first movie I did that was released on Netflix was roped and it's a kind of coming of age, a uh, little bit of a, like a teen romance. Some have described it as like a footloose meets, uh, you know, a Western or something or a rodeo movie. Um, and uh, that was wonderful to work on. Um, and the two leads of that are Josh and uh, Lauren Swickard. At the time, Lauren York. But they actually met and fell in love on the set There was a real life romance going on at the same time that we were filming that movie the second movie I did was lady driver that was led by grace van deen and she's I think a wonderful wonderful actress I think she's a big big star in the making and of course sean patrick flannery uh, was in that with her as well and also her dad did a cameo casper van deen and uh, that's about a young woman who becomes a race car champion or pursues becoming a race car champion Um, kind of in her it's kind of in her family blood and so again it's a coming of age it's her kind of uh, figuring all that stuff out finding out about her past that she didn't know about Um, and then after that was this really zany comedy it's my first feature comedy Um, I love absolutely adore comedy and even in action films I, I try and put in comedy I just love the opportunity and the vehicle to try and make people smile in any which way that I can so um, I had done comedic commercials in the past and I've done short films that are that are comedy but never a feature so this was my first feature comedy and I had an absolute blast making it's probably the most fun I've ever had on a set the uh, actors in Matt Jones and Noreen DeWolf and uh, Maddie Carteropple and uh, um, uh, um, they're just were so funny that you know in front of the camera off the camera they're so funny that just the whole experience was just absolutely hilarious and and John Ducey who wrote it who's also in it um, he's hilarious and uh, and his wife uh, Christina Moore is also in it so they're just all s- just such a funny cast um, uh, along with Ali Afshar um, that uh, that one's that one's kind of a I don't know if many people will know this movie but there's a movie called uh, um Uh, Brewster's millions and it's the basically the the nuts and bolts of it is uh, strange father um, leaves his fortune and his will to uh, to his his son and uh, um, in our movie the son uh, he has two other siblings who believe they should be the heirs to the to the family fortune but on his deathbed the father leaves a challenge for his his estranged son to be able to uh, get the family fortune if he competes in these races across the country and he has to podium it's totally not believable it's totally over the top but basically he has to go across the country and compete in different races from motorcycle like motocross to uh, drag uh, drag boats to monster trucks I mean like we did we went across the gamut of the the racing world and just had a blast with it Um, and then the last one is uh, which just came out is California Christmas and that's just a very sweet um, kind of rom-com Christmas movie and uh, that again stars Josh and Lauren Swickard and uh, this time she wrote the script um, Lauren Swickard wrote it and produced it and uh, along with Ali Afshar but it was a great reunion with uh, them both acting in it now married and um, uh, we became very again what we talked about earlier about you know the relationships you build it really that's exactly what this was all about we had a great experience on one project and we we're trying to figure out what to do You know, in the future when the time was right what can we do again together and this is the vehicle that came up for that and uh, I jumped at the chance as soon as I got called and said hey do you want to direct another movie with Josh and Lauren I'm like yes what is the well first obviously I got to read the script but almost like not even knowing the script it was already like a yes like you know yes I want to do another film with them because It was just such an enjoyable experience and and uh, this one it's the big city guy comes and he's trying to buy the property from the from the the ranch uh, from the young woman who who uh, owns the ranch and so it's that kind of thing and he gets dragged into doing work on the on the ranch and of course they fall in love and uh, you know it's that kind of thing but there's some good little twists in it and there's some really fun characters that are unexpected Uh, in there and uh, you know you've got uh, David Del Rio uh, who's a really great comedic actor uh, just a great actor in general but he's also really really good at comedy Um, and uh, (laughs) he's really funny in this movie so um, we had a lot of fun with that and uh, yeah they all all of them (laughs) ended up on Netflix uh, this past year and or this year and that was uh, uh, felt just very blessed that that uh, is a reality, you know that that happened. Wasn't expecting it. Um, you know, you're, you're making these movies. You don't necessarily know when they're going to come out. Um, but uh, yeah, they they all did.
0: And so, how does that happen? Is that something where you knew up front that you were making these to eventually be on Netflix? A distributor got them on. The producer had inroads. Yeah.
1: So the first three, no um the first three we didn't know exactly what the distribution path would be uh, California Christmas is a Netflix original so yes we did know from the get-go on that one um, and there's that collaboration um, so that was really exciting when we were doing it too just knowing that we that that that's going to be the home this is you know uh, uh, just a really and obviously then there's the pressures of making sure you do it right and do it justice and and make them happy and everything, but um, the first three, no, we 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 made them with you know, obviously, Netflix would be a, a, a great place for them to land, so you shoot for those, shoot for that as a goal, of course. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, there's uh, Amazon and there's Hulu and there's, uh, there's theatrical, there's you know, just going a traditional route like you know, iTunes or whatever, so there's all sorts of. Different uh, avenues you could go, um, but I definitely think Netflix was a goal place to try and get them. Uh, and luckily, with the relationships uh, that uh, the production team and um, like our producers, uh, like Ali Afshar, um, it, the relationships he's built uh, have helped us get us into those doors um, and and ultimately get um, uh, you know find their home
0: there has has he had other movies on Netflix did he already have a pre-existing relationship so um I think with roped
1: the cut several of them got released the same day so I think it was a a um, kind of a little bit of a package deal there so I'm not exactly sure if there was anything before that that had made it onto Netflix I think those were the first ones so no not necessarily but um, relationships with with like we kind of have a, a kind of loose partnership like sales partnership with Warner Brothers so that relationship was already established um, and so I think it was through that relationship again some of this stuff is above my pay grade um, but I do know that we we have partnered especially on the sales ends of things with Warner Brothers in the past and so that has been kind of a, um, a very good relationship there with with several movies and then when it came to this Um, again I am not a hundred percent sure but I think that was the 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 relationship that then uh, bridged into Netflix
0: so so Ali has these relationships and is this from I know he has a racing does something with racing so yeah yeah. so Uh
1: yeah Ali Ali um, is uh, again he now I've done more movies with him than I've done with anybody else so our partnership him producing me directing uh, I've done five films with him Um, and uh, obviously I keep coming back because I love working with him and uh, again it's another really just great friendship that has developed um, uh, over the years and so um, uh, he started he's got a great story so he uh, grew up in Northern California I also grew up in Northern California so there's a little bit of that you know bond there but he uh, got into racing uh, kind of in a roundabout way but I mean he was always into racing but how he got sponsorships and everything was him and his team his buddies they figured out uh, how to um, take a Subaru and uh, modify it in a way to be obviously incredibly fast but compete in drag racing and at that time Subaru they're rally racing and they did other other kinds of racing but came nowhere near drag racing but the way how he was able to figure out how to take I believe it was a six-cylinder and like drag race with these huge muscle cars and win was kind of uh, revolutionary and especially for uh, for Subaru themselves and so um, if I'm remembering the story correctly they came out to meet him and he took them in the car and showed him what it could do and they wanted to sponsor him so he traveled the world did all these races and and got even you know, more advanced with the Subarus and took them to like world record holding numbers and he uh, I believe he still holds some world records with t- his team in Subaru um, with the drag racing so he did really well for himself there and through different sponsorship deals that's how he met other sponsors who then became Hey, why don't we make some movies together would you want to make a movie about race cars you know what I mean so it became that that's how he kind of got into that whole world and I think he had also just done some acting on the side because that was another passion of his um, I know he was on like king of queens he, he kind of had a character who would come back every so often and I know he did some some stuff early on as well I don't know where that overlaps with him making movies and all of that but um, he kind of tried to marry his two loves I think which was racing and acting and and uh, and all of that so um, they ended up making a couple race car movies first okay. um, and then that started bridge, bridging out from there started expanding into other stories to tell not just racing but we do always kind of come back to the racing too because that is obviously a big passion of his so even like our comedy wheels of fortune um, that I was describing earlier it's obviously all the different race car elements I mean from the motorcycles to the boats to the off-road trucks to the you know, it's uh, um, we do find ways to, to do, do stories that uh, also involve the racing
0: right so interesting so he has this sort of mindset of of finding sponsors and and partnering what he loves to do with these bigger companies and he's so really they, good at that he, okay. again he's
1: really good at those relationship building and right. and uh, that we talked about earlier He's uh, he's very personable, very nice guy, all of those things, and 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 has great ideas, and has you know this incredible ambition, and and uh, I think his energy is infectious that way as well. So I think um, he attracts uh, those kinds of uh, people that with like-minded uh, you know energy and want want to create these things, and so um, I think he's produced it's really hard to keep track of them all I think he's produced 16 movies and uh, two television series now and all within a matter of you know uh, five years or something like that mm-hmm. or maybe even under that so um, yeah when he sets his mind to those things he's he really excels and then luckily I was able to to partner uh, with him and that was through um, again it, we, we talk about how uh, work begets work right so um, it was an actor uh, named Shane Graham who's also a wonderful actor I think he's a big star as well and he's he's doing really great work he's got a movie right now called ride which is on Amazon and uh, that one's doing really really well and again that's the same same filmmaker Ali Afshar is also the producer of that so he had just finished filming that when he came on to a TV series I was directing and uh, we became fast friends and he uh, said man, I got to introduce you to these other filmmakers and he in kind told them you've got to meet this director Sean You know, I think you guys would get along great so it's really him helping bridge that relationship and then um, some of the producers not Ali came to set and actually uh, the other director the other uh, main director for for Ali's company ESX entertainment uh, Alex uh Ravello has directed I think he's directed like at least 10 movies with them I've Knuckle been five. He's, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. And uh, <laughs> um, so he um, he came to set. He came to visit. it's almost like the the you know if if he approved of me, then they would take a meeting with me type of thing. And he was lovely. And and uh, he came to set and visited when we were we were launching some B twenty five bomber. It was a World War two thing. And uh, I was like, perfect day for him to come see. <laughs> we're doing some really cool stuff, you know. So he came and visited and and uh, luckily he reported back that that I seemed like a, you know a, maybe a good match for them as well so I went out to Warner Brothers and and met up with Ali and and again I think we we hit it off right away and I really liked the story the the movie that they were um, uh, talking to me about directing at the time is called American Fighter um, and that comes out in early early 2021 it's, it's finally coming out so that one's been Uh, it's been a while uh, since we uh, first started that one but it's finally coming out Um, I believe in March is when that one's going to come out but um, so I met with them and luckily they they uh, liked me enough and and uh, the rest is history I then did four more movies after that one with them and hopefully more knock on wood Uh, I would love to do uh, of course more projects with them
0: wow that's really fascinating so because I think Ali when I read his bio I said he he was going to med school and then he became he wanted to be an actor instead and then the race car driving came in there and then is that that's fascinating he yeah would then yeah he's find he, the sponsorship and that would take him back to acting yeah basically. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's really yeah.
1: uh it's really uh amazing and he's a great producer that way I mean he he's he's just one of those people that any problem even you know I i view myself as a great problem solver but I even run into certain issues that you know, maybe I can't tackle he comes in and it's and he fixes it you know, I, we were shooting lady driver and the, it had just rained and we we're on this it's this really nasty kind of clay that just will your cars will sink in it and all that kind of stuff and, and you won't get them out like it's one of those things so it had rained a couple days before we were at this racetrack and we're supposed to film everything in their in their race pits, um, and but the problem is it had rained a couple days, and the 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 track the guy running the track was like, I don't think you can bring these big heavy, you know, production trucks and vehicles on here. And he goes, we'd have to bring in a tractor, and we'd have to like, you know, lay down some, like like till it up and lay down some more stuff, and blah blah blah. And we're like, well, where are we gonna film this? You know, like this is here today is here's our schedule. This is what we're supposed to film on this day. And I kept talking to the guy going what can we do where can we film it can we do it here or is there any way to to make it work there can we bring the tractor he goes no I don't think it can happen then my producer my like field producer comes in he's talking to him nope can't happen nope can't ha- everybody nope can't happen here comes Allie what's wrong what's going on I go well because it rained here we can't get the vehicles out there as well he goes I goes okay hold on." I'll-. he goes Two minutes. He's over there talking to the gentleman. Comes back. Goes. Yeah, we're going to be able to film there. I go. What? How did you make that happen? He's just one of those people that just you know makes those kinds of things happen. Of course, the guy got the tractor. He did all the work. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know what they said or what was talked about, but you know, he was able to to make that happen, and we filmed the whole day where we were supposed to film it, and and it all worked out. And uh, and yeah, so very interesting.
0: Sean, can you further explain? How you got the first two films on Netflix yeah
1: so I think the the first couple films that we got on there had to do with the relationship with Warner Brothers and them kind of being the handling the sales of the films if that makes sense so um, they're the ones who and I say they I really again a lot of this is above my pay grade but um, I know it was a relationship with Warner Brothers representing the films to sell them and they sold it to Netflix so that's how they got it on there. And I believe it was a package deal. Again, it's above my pay grade, but um, uh, I believe that's how the first couple of films got on there. And, and of course, then the relationship builds, and then we got a couple more on there, and that went really well for us. And then, you know, now we've got the newest one, California Christmas, that just came out. So I think we have um, it's not just my four films uh, with the same company, with ESX and Ali's Allie's company. I think we now have seven films on there on Netflix. So it's been a the relationship obviously through warner brothers has built and it's been really really fantastic
0: and sorry how did you get the first relationship going with warner brothers and I know you that said part's not I have no you, clue. you have no clue. yeah okay.
1: that's that's okay. Uh, that's all Allie. right, uh, right. that's okay. his relationship so I don't know how that
0: all started right you've been a director for hire on all four movies that have gone to netflix were you competing with other directors at that time for the job
1: um I do know um, yes I think there's always been other directors in consideration uh, a few of them know I think we just from the get-go we knew that I was going to do it and that's because we had already established that relationship um, but yes there was other I guess because American Fighter was the first film I directed with them and there was other directors being considered uh, but that one hasn't come out yet that one's not on Netflix yet that one is releasing uh, again in March um, so that one I knew I definitely was competing uh, and then there's always there is also Alex Serena Rivello who has directed a bunch of movies with them so it's kind of like are you going to direct this one you're going to direct you know and we also have Brett Headland who has been the editor on all of our films he also directed a, a film for ESX um, called The Stand at Paxton County uh, which I helped develop that script um, but he ended up uh, directing it uh, because I was directing uh, wheels of Fortune. So I think yeah, there's those things and and uh, certain ones. Uh, yes, there's other uh, in consideration, and then other ones. It's been, you know, hey, we love what you do. We want you. You know, we think you could tell the story really well, and so I just get offered it. Um, but certainly in the beginning, there was definitely more of that um, uh, considering other directors for the projects
0: did you personally meet with anybody at Netflix did you go to Netflix no you haven't okay
1: no yeah I I haven't had any I have met with people from Netflix before but not for these movies Um, uh, again uh, being the director I'm not the producers of them I'm not I don't have I am very uh, involved in the post-production process from everything editing visual effects sound design ADR score I'm I have my fingers in every single part of that, uh, but and making sure that the deliverables uh, get done. But beyond that, like I said, it's kind of above my pay grade, and um, I'm not involved on that level. Now, if it'd be something that I produced, then that might be more the case. And I have had those conversations with films that are, I have personally produced, you know, that are through my stuff. But, but. Um, uh, I did have a movie long ago on netflix but it was when there were still dvds that they would send to your house um,
0: so anyways. I remember those days yep. yeah <laughs> it's exciting to check yeah. the mail um, how much involvement does netflix have during production I know you said it with california christmas yeah this is, is our first year. this
1: is our first um, uh, uh, netflix original so yeah there is a certain involvement and again warner brothers uh, they're they're also those relationships there um, kind of overseeing making sure everything's going good and, and all that I think because of when we filmed this we were one of the first films after this pandemic has started to come back and film uh, there was tv shows some docu series that had been going uh, but we were one of the first film film productions to go back in so I think there's uh, because of those reasons uh, it, it's maybe a different experience than it would have been uh, prior to this um, so there's not a whole bunch of people that just randomly come into sets. Like everything is very small, controlled. Um, there was some, you know, Zoom sessions in those kinds of things from from more of the executives, uh, you know, in that regard. But ESX was in charge of producing the product. But yes, from script levels to overseeing, sending clips, sending data you know, whatever it is, their involvement is that way. But not. Um, coming to set and, and uh, overseeing it in that respect, at least not on this. Again, like I said, I think because of um, uh, just the current uh, world affairs, that, that uh, um, it was more from afar. You know what I mean?
0: Sure. But so you were sending them dailies? I
1: don't know if it was dailies or like certain scenes, cut together scenes here that show you a sample. You know those kinds of things. Um, but the way that we do dailies now it's all digital it's all up on there so again I'm not sure what's sent to who because I'm so razor focused on filming and getting the stuff done um, but very likely it could have been sent to them to review yeah
0: and they reviewed the script and gave you notes
1: yes yeah yeah all that stuff was uh, of course they have to have uh, approval on all that kind of stuff.
0: Sean forgive me for asking this but the timeline can we just go over that one more time uh, for these movies because it sounds like this happened so fast
1: yeah this year has been very interesting uh, again I think I think because people are so starving for content it's why so many of my projects uh, came out uh, but Roped and Lady Driver kind of came out at the same time on Netflix and uh, so those were already out then uh, we were already in development and and working on a California Christmas before wheels of fortune came out so we're actually on set filming a California Christmas oh I'm sorry actually it was after a California Christmas stopped filming when uh, um, I was on a different television a different uh, project when uh, wheels of fortune came out Um, and uh, so yeah so it was had a couple of them on there we I don't remember if the I think the deal was in place when we started filming California Christmas Four Wheels of Fortune to come out, um, but it didn't come out until after we were done filming it. And then, you know, a California Christmas is the one we had the clearest like date of when we were, it was going to release because it's a holiday movie. We knew December. They wanted it to come out in early December uh, to play through for the holidays. So, um, but. On like Wheels of Fortune, we didn't know what the date exactly would be when when Netflix would want to drop it, when they want to release it. Obviously, I'm sure they have specific, you know, reasons for when they want to to release uh, movies. Um, but I do believe we had the deal for for Wheels of Fortune while you know before we started filming uh, California Christmas, if I'm not mistaken. Again, a lot of this stuff is I I don't get to deal with it. I don't get the inside information on that. But um, but yeah. Uh, so I had two films already, but also ESX, I believe, already had four films on uh, on Netflix already released before we started doing the California Christmas uh, project.
0: And that just came out today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Came out today.
0: Yeah. When was the production for California Christmas?
1: so we started filming um, I'm trying to remember the exact date but it was in July of
0: 2020
1: Uh, July of 2020 yeah so it was a very quick turnaround from filming to (laughs) release Um, uh, it was it was uh, we were working 24 7 to try and get it uh, finished through post and delivered because we had to deliver in I think late October Um, was was the requirement for delivery if it was going to air in in December so um, uh, it was a very very fast turnaround so but yeah we started filming in in January and uh, of course we had to get um, everything approved through sag and all of that with the COVID protocols and 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 all of that
0: and assuming it was filmed in California correct yes it was filmed in California yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. what were the protocols oh sorry
1: oh yeah I was just gonna say up in Northern California Petaluma and Sonoma and those surrounding areas is where we filmed Mm. it was beautiful I felt so lucky and blessed that number one I was getting to work during this time because there's so many people who can't work Um, uh, and that was certainly the case before I got to film this I hadn't been able to do any physical production obviously for months and months
0: Oh really sorry to interrupt but you sat you were at home probably
1: yeah I was able to do some other work and I had post work to do and things like that so uh, I still was keeping myself busy but um, yeah not not going and physically filming anything Um, so I felt very lucky to be able to do that and yes we had to have a very extensive plan number one just to show to sag and daniel Aspermonte, who is one of the producers on it he put together this very detailed highly detailed plan of how we would shoot it how we would keep everybody safe and a very impressive uh, plan that he put together and because the movie is a little bit more self-contained it focuses on these two actors who happen to be married in real life that helped with you know, certainly getting things approved when they got approved because we were uh, like I mentioned before one of the first features to 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 film uh, uh, since this whole thing kind of started since you know shutdowns happened and so, um, uh, but yeah, it was very interesting. It was a whole different world uh, as far as filming goes um, with the COVID protocols. Number one, we were tested like every other day. On um, set? On set, the, the, onset, the good wow. old nose swabs. Wow. And uh, we had more medics on set. Um, uh, and also, uh, we were temperature checked when we arrived. We were temperature checked before we left every night. Um, just you know highly diligent we wore face masks of course Um, if we were in close proximity with the actors we'd also have the shields so we'd have mask and shield on Uh, and to that effect nobody was really allowed to go get close to the actors while they were on set other than the camera the the camera operators and or DP and myself the director and maybe the AD first AD. we uh, were really the only people that could get in close proximity with the actors when they didn't have their masks on. So we had to follow those rules. Um, there was also zones. So, uh, you know, only a certain amount of people total could be in any zone at one given time. So obviously, set itself or base camp would be the hottest zones; That's where the most people would be. But we tried to keep that all separate. And on top of all of this, we had a, a COVID officer. So we had somebody on set who was overseeing this stuff and making sure we were keeping socially distant, um, and that we were, had our masks up that they don't fall down over our nose. And you know, you got a bunch of people with their noses out. He was—he's on it, uh, Matt, a wonderful gentleman who was our COVID officer. Um, he was overseeing all of that and making sure uh, that we were following all the rules and. Um, and he actually did it in a very pleasant way it's not like he was like, yelling at people hey you, your mask is down no he's very very kind about it but he's very diligent as well he's on top of it I mean you really you know. Um, and then uh, the other thing that I forgot to mention is when the actors are on set no none of the other departments can come and work with them on set even including wardrobe and makeup they would have to leave set first to be able to be checked like outside things like that as well like when we're indoors they have to have all the doors open, you know. It's like all of those things uh, to to be um, very diligent with that stuff. And then, like let's say we need to adjust a light. Well, the actors would have to step off first, be cleared. Then, the uh, electricians can come in, the the uh, and grip department can come in and they can fix a light or whatever. But the really cool thing that Brad Rushing, our DP, thought about in all of this, and I thought it was genius, was they. He decided to try and light from outside as much as possible. So, bringing in light sources from outside, whether it's backlighting the actor from like, you know, it's sunlight or artificial sunlight coming through a window or however it was designed, he tried to design a lot of it uh, coming from outside and the lights that were inside were remote. So, we had our uh, gaffers in our lighting department, they could adjust everything. Like on iPads and things like that they were able to dim and do different things they were able to do a lot without needing to physically go on set and have to remove the actors because that of course all takes extra time so I thought that was pretty genius to to approach it that way um, and, and help us keep our keep our schedules you know
0: did did you notice that you would tend to shoot outside more or no I was just wondering if that was something part of that, that we... was
1: part of the design yeah oh, okay. uh, we did think about that early on with these protocols try and limit the amount of scenes that need to be shot indoors and again you know, trying to keep it more open space and when we did go into like a bedroom or something like that the crew became very minimal so uh, again with the COVID officer we worked with him to figure out well how many people can be upstairs safely and it wasn't about like <clears throat> How many people you know, can we get in we want to get in as many as we can it was literally about like what is a real safe you know, like what's the real number can we only have five people up here you can have two people in that room and you can have three people in this room you know what I mean so we kind of became that dance and then everybody else has to stay downstairs or outside you know? so it was that thing so there was a lot of things to juggle that you don't normally have to yes they add time the testing adds time to your like actually takes away time from your shoot day um, so you have to account for all of those things but what I will say is it sounds daunting it sounds like oh this isn't going to work uh, but what I will say is that the the crew and the new people that the the people dealing with the COVID testing and all of that we all got into a rhythm you know first couple days obviously it's rougher but we all got into a rhythm and by the end we were all just firing on all cylinders and you know, came everybody came and got their tests that you know it just just you know we came together and we made it happen. Um, and uh, and everybody worked really hard. you had to work hard because the other the other thing about it is we had less crew because you can't have too many people. so that can put strain on the different departments like now they have one less or two less people than they normally have. So again, luckily we have a team of people that really aren't afraid of hard work and they put in the hard work and they all deserve, all the accolades they can get because they really do put in a uh, tremendous amount of work and that's why I keep working with the same team I think because we share that common goal of you know all trying to make something as good as we can especially whether it's limited resources or time or um, but they all just work really really hard and and uh, I think we're able to accomplish really great things uh, even in the um, you know, uh, constraints of working in, during this time.
0: Is the COVID officer someone you're hiring off Mandy or one of these sites, or is this someone from the state? That's a great
1: question. I'm not qualified to answer. I don't know. Um, uh, the producers, they handled all of that. Um, it is definitely a, somebody who's certified within that. You know, I don't even know all the certifications, but they're. Um, yeah again I don't really know but I know that they are very they're certified they're they're up with all the testing like the latest test like when we were filming the tests were changing and we had always the latest and greatest the best or whatever it was Uh, we started when we first showed up we were doing blood tests and then it became uh, we were doing the finger prick stuff at the beginning and then that morphed into just doing the nose swabs and then there was different levels of nose swabs and you know like it was very interesting but they're always at the like forefront of whatever it is that's going to be the best, have the highest accuracy, you know, all those things. Um, and uh, yeah, it was very, very interesting. And and uh, that whole team, so not just himself, but there's a whole team behind it. They all were wonderful, and and obviously uh, their job was to try and keep us safe. Um, and you know, luckily they did.
0: <laughs> what about crew feed? How's that done because you know normally it's going to be yeah, like a buffet all, style
1: that that all changed too yeah so uh, everything is kind of individually packaged so and, and we have caterers and stuff like that 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 um, craft services was very definitely very different so everything has to be individually wrapped uh, you're not you can't go through and thumb through and touch a bunch of stuff you have to figure out what you're going to choose <laughs> that bag of fritos now that you touch that bag it's your bag you know that kind of thing um, but the, the probably the biggest bummer is like I always like to have like fresh fruit and stuff like that They can't really do that um, uh, with these protocols so unfortunately unless you brought it your own in your own bag you know, which I did I brought bananas and apples myself um, but uh, yeah that was very different and again the lunches are very different you could only have everybody was spaced out like this you know, the seating area you can't have everybody bunched in and always outside basically um and um but yeah the the lunches uh and the meals were all just kind of like in their own little kind of package you know individual portions and packaged and, and it was fine it you know it was uh, uh, just became you know kind of standard after the first week we, everybody was used to it
0: what was the shooting schedule
1: uh, so the shooting schedule was um uh, we usually do like five on, two off type of thing, and uh, I think we had one six day. Uh, maybe we had two. Um, we really it was it was a pretty short schedule. That's the other. Uh, I think reason why we got approved so early on is it was a limited amount of days. So that's another thing that they were looking for. Like, you know, what's the shortest amount of time you can film this in to to limit, uh, you know, uh, you know, risk of somebody getting infected so um, I think we had about 15 days uh, for this shoot all in like all together which is not a lot of time <laughs> to film a movie but again like I said we have a, a great crew that helps us um, accomplish those goals
0: what was the last day of shooting and then I'm not sure again what the day for deliverables was I think in October how much yeah, time gosh, did you I have? have
1: to look when the when the last day of shooting was um, I think we were just about um, just rolled over into August or just right before um, August. I can't remember exactly the date. But yeah, from that time to getting it delivered, you know, was, was, we usually have twice that amount of time to get it done. However many months that is, what is that? Uh, it's basically the end of October is when we had to deliver, um, if my memory is serving me correctly. And, uh, so not only we, so the good thing was is that the editor had started the process while we were filming. So as we were still filming, as they got footage delivered to them on hard drives through the mail um, or couriers, they would get the footage. Uh, Brett Hedlund was the the editor. He would get it and then process it and then start cutting the scenes. So um, that was all happening. You know, it's offset by obviously a few days. Um, but then once he gets rolling, he's just you know getting the new footage and continuing to try and put the, the pieces together. And uh, by the time we finished shooting, it wasn't far after that that we had the first rough cut. Um, and so and then I once I was finished filming, I got to look at the cuts and start and we break it up in reels. So I started reviewing the reels, giving my notes, figuring out what tweaks we can do or if we're missing a piece. You know how do how are we going to solve that and um, so from the editing just getting the the picture cut then to the sound design to the score I mean uh, uh, Jamie Christofferson who did our score he had such a small amount of time to do the score I was blown away at with the speed at which he was able to do it and we had several original songs in there that he produced along with uh, Caitlin Epperly who is in the movie, but she also sings several original songs for it. And while we were filming, he had to be helping create those, like rough versions for her to perform and lip sync live to uh, while we were filming it. But that meant those songs had to be done. And so that whole decision that we were gonna do these original songs, and you know, from that time to filming those actual scenes was so short amount of time I was blown away he was able to do it and of course they were rough versions of the song but they still sounded fantastic of course they went in they did they even re-recorded some of the vocals and did things after the fact but to to get that and and we had to have her go and record her audio for it and so it was this this uh, pretty amazing dance that happened but but it all worked out beautifully and um uh then getting people in ADR which was really interesting because um, we couldn't bring everybody in like like even for myself I didn't go into the studio for the ADR I did it from home and so did a lot of our actors they didn't go to the studio either they were either abroad or some of them were in their hotel rooms doing ADR for us you know we'd either send a microphone or or you know somehow get it that way and uh, it was really, really interesting. I'd never experienced anything like that. But from from doing it like that, all remote, to even the color correction sessions remotely, all doing it over Zoom, and now we've all got a much shorter time to do it. It was a incredibly challenging, but again, everybody just rose to the challenge, and I think that's a lot of of you know the positive stories out of 2020 that I've seen is people rising to challenges. And it's really to me it's inspirational obviously I try and look at the glass half full versus empty that's just my personality but um, I really have seen some amazing things come out of this year of such tragedy and obviously so many uh, hardships and, and so much that has gone wrong in this year I've seen how people have risen to that challenge and just it's been inspirational in that respect
0: you think it reminds you of of how you do things because I could see you always wanting <laughs> to problem solve yeah. and fix it and, yeah. and and being successful at that yeah that I think like there's probably
1: at some level there there is me seeing uh, you know, people maybe problem solve in in the way that makes sense to me <laughs> so yeah. maybe maybe that's what uh, uh, attracts me to 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 seeing that but um, uh, yeah I, I certainly think my uh, again I go back to my martial arts I think martial arts itself at least what I have been able to study and the teachers that I've been lucky enough to to train under is it's all about problem solving so it that's 100 percent of what it is um, you know, whether you're fighting an opponent or not or nothing confrontational because martial arts again from what the way I've been taught is it goes much beyond combat there there is that aspect of it there is self-defense there is the sport element of it but beyond that it's it's kind of philosophy and problem solving and it helps you in all walks of life and I think it certainly has helped me in filmmaking
0: Sean how do you feel about you filmed this movie in July of 2020 it's now mid-December 2020 and today it's the first day it's on Netflix
1: um, I have to say it's actually a really good feeling um, because A lot of times in filmmaking as you guys probably well know um, it can take a long time from inception to to release Uh, in some cases years and that's certainly been the case uh, for a lot of my movies Um, some of them are three plus years before they end up uh, coming out and even big blockbuster movies they have similar tales some of them are three plus years Um, other movies kind of get shelved for a while it could be five years before they come out so to have something that you work on within the same year and it, I mean even like basically less than six months uh, kind of go from inception to release it's, it feels great <laughs> it's really nice to see something uh, and and hopefully get a good response and what just today it's released but I've already gotten really really nice and, and sweet responses and and uh, that's just a, an amazing feeling and uh, a feeling that I hope any creator gets to experience at some point um, because the, I, I also remember every inch of the set and every second every minute of of that production because it's still so fresh in my brain and to go from that to seeing people's reactions to it this quickly it's a it's a it's kind of you know endorphin inducing feeling it feels really wonderful I a great morning waking up to uh, getting some of those messages. And um, with some of the other movies, it's been like three years. It's really hard to remember. You know, I remember certain moments, but it's obviously not the same thing. it's It's been a long time uh, since, uh, you know, working on those projects.
0: As a director, does Netflix pay you residuals?
1: Ooh, no. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true for, for every film, of course. Um, but at least at the level I'm at, and, and with these films, no, there's no residuals um, for that. And I don't know if that's the same for actors. So I think actors with SAG and all of that, obviously, there's a much different, uh, probably, uh, deal there. I'm trying to remember because um, there was there was um, negotiations for streaming at some point. I'm trying to. I'm bad with keeping up on all the latest uh, information with that. Um, but for myself, no.
0: If a group of young filmmakers came to you and said they wanted to make movies only for Netflix, what would you advise them in terms of story, production, budget?
1: Um, yeah, for Netflix, that's interesting because it's kind of this ever-moving thing. So, uh, in in what trends on there, um, I would say that Netflix, at least in my experience or my perception of it, is it is a little bit more kind of an algorithm-based thing you know what I'm saying like it's it's uh, almost like a YouTube but not I mean not the same as YouTube but but very much like what uh, attracts viewership and uh, and things like that is a little bit more it, it is constantly changing so that's a hard one to, to figure out I think um, Netflix also does things on all spectrums. I mean, they have movies that are made at a couple million. They have movies that are made at a hundred million. So it's really hard to kind of pinpoint exactly uh, what to say would work to help you get get it sold onto Netflix. Other than just you know try and make stories that uh, uh, resonate with with an audience. Um, obviously, try and make it the. the it's got to be of a certain standard certain quality um, so I think those are goals to shoot for um, but yeah that's a tough one to say I think there's probably uh, the two spectrums of of budget levels um, you've got the ones that you probably want to keep you know, under a certain amount because then then the sale to Netflix makes sense and um, because if you make it for too much you're never going to get that amount back if that makes sense um, but then on the flip side if you've got you know, big name actors in it you know whoever that might be a Will Smith or something then obviously those numbers completely change so you could make a 50 million dollar movie and still sell it and it would make sense on Netflix but again I think a lot of those are more of the Netflix originals as well that they're willing to put in that kind of uh, um, that kind of a commitment um, for a big big movie like that um, I don't really see them going after the you know, more uh, low low budget stuff like the the sub 1 million dollar films but again I could be wrong because I just don't know all the inner inner workings of it um, uh, but uh, they definitely also have parameters in place for uh, your gear so I'd say first and foremost if that's really your goal probably the best advice I could say was find out the specs that they require because they actually do really require certain specs like I believe it has to be shot in 4k minimum Um, and they literally have gear approved they have a gear approved list for Netflix like what you can film on what cameras they approve uh, and things like that so they actually do have some technical aspects that you could (laughs) kind of uh, um, for lack of a better word screw yourself out of ever getting a Netflix deal if you don't meet certain parameters uh, again I don't know exactly what all those are and they do change but um, I do know that there are certain like uh, uh, I believe the black magic pocket cameras are actually approved for Netflix so something on that level which is still affordable uh, and and uh, you know, to a certain degree are still at enough quality level to be approved by netflix I believe again don't quote me on any of this but mm. um, uh, but there are certain ones that aren't for whatever reason it doesn't meet the specs um, maybe the color space isn't deep enough doesn't have enough bits or whatever um, so that would be the starting point <laughs> like make sure you check with that kind of stuff and and, and make your goals of, of filming it to, to meet those certain parameters and um, other than that I think they uh, they obviously um, you know uh, stream such a wide variety of things you can see I've got very kind of family-friendly pg movies in uh, lady driver and roped that actually were really successful on Netflix they trended they were on the popular lists roped I think climbed as high as like 22 on like most popular film on Netflix uh, and it's it's a very much uh, PG family friendly, and then you have the opposite end of the spectrum where you've got the you know uh, very gritty, dark you know the the Stranger Things and the and those kinds of shows that are extremely successful. So I think they really are open to a variety of of uh, genres and styles of filmmaking. So it's really hard to pinpoint you know what would work and what wouldn't work on there. Um, but obviously check the specs that's where I'd start <laughs> and then make a good story and uh, and uh, be as creative and get the best quality that you can
0: and are those specs available to the public on their website or I think that so really? I really okay. know where I've
1: read about it as has been more in like the um, like film gear uh, like websites and, and publications like that um, I have seen like Hey, this camera is actually, you know, meets the meets, you know, Netflix-approved specs. I personally never have seen a sheet or whatever that says what those specs are, but um, and I've never searched it up. But I have read about it, like I said, in in uh, those, you know, like 4Kshooter.com or something like that. You know, one of those uh, one of those websites. Uh, Um, I've read about uh, the different cameras and if they meet the spec like this red Komodo that just came out it got Netflix approved so you can use this new red camera that's a it's kind of a much smaller red and it uh, I believe it shoots 6k Um, so it doesn't do the 8k that the newer reds or the other reds are doing now like we shot uh, we filmed uh, California Christmas on uh, a, a red Gemini's that are 8k Um, and uh, we we shot uh, with some vintage lenses though we had these vintage anamorphic kawas that we shot on on uh, on this 8k new camera I was I actually really love trying to meld old and new that's something that really kind of excites me um, even to the point at which I have been known to search you know ebay for some vintage style lenses that might not fit on my cameras, but I will figure out a way to adapt them. Um, even with metal files out in the garage, I'm shaving down, you know, mounting parts to make them fit together. And I love experimenting with that kind of stuff. Uh, so anytime I get that opportunity, I, I do it. This was the second film that I took really like vintage uh, anamorphic style lenses and put them, match them with the with the newer cameras, and uh, I love the results. I think it's. Uh, just makes for really interesting imagery and um, uh, and I just love anamorphic as well if I had a choice I would film everything on anamorphic just a quality to it that that excites me
0: so you feel the older lenses are are somehow lent to a better story and forgive me I, I don't They're, know it too it's, much it's about like lenses. more character okay. so the mm-hmm. lens
1: the lens itself uh, the older lenses tend to have more character which can be described in like You know maybe the the edges blur a little bit differently or um, certainly lens flares are very different uh, especially with anamorphic Um, and there's some wonderful new anamorphic lenses I've I've actually filmed with them as well and they looked beautiful Um, but uh, I just happen to really love the characteristics the way it bends light is slightly differently uh, slightly different or again the way it pulls focus maybe to the center because the edges or maybe the 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 sharpness starts to dissipate towards the edges which in one respect could be a little bit maybe scary for a filmmaker going oh I want to make sure the shots in focus but if you understand that and know that going in you know where the lens might be softer and so you're not going to frame it that way to where it would be an issue or you make sure you're paying attention like oh the top of their heads. Maybe getting a little too blurry, so you reframe a little bit to make sure they're in the sweet spot of the lens. A lot of the older lenses have sweet spots, so you got to kind of understand and know that, or else you could get yourself in trouble where the people are out of focus. But, um, uh, but I just love the characteristics of it, and and when you look at certainly the filmmakers that influenced me the most, they almost. Always have shot an anamorphic, and some of those that very same models that I've used from the Cowas and the Hawks, and uh, and uh, even some of the Ingenues, um, you know, some Spielberg's and the and the uh, you know uh, uh, Kubricks and all that use those same same kind of uh, lenses. So. Um, Uh, that was always kind of a dream of mine was to to be able to shoot on those someday and then it's come to fruition on a couple projects I've gotten to to use some of those vintage uh, uh, lenses which was exciting for me because I'm kind of a camera nerd that way I really geek out on all the different technology and I love new technology but I also love the old stuff too so again that's where it comes back to me loving to figure out a way to marry the two together Um, and uh, that's just always a a kind of uh, exciting challenge to me
0: and if you buy those lenses on ebay do you then later sell them again um, after not the really no I, I kind of keep them, keep
1: them okay. you know, I have some old Russian uh, lenses that just do some really cool uh, bokeh or bokeh the way it uh, kind of almost a circular blur to them uh, those are really cool I've used those actually I used one of those on California Christmas for a scene um, uh, to me they're always like they're tools that you can use for a certain situation it might be really perfect for that moment and, and uh, so I've got those I've got I just I actually just adapted a a 70s ingenue zoom lens for tele. it was a television lens and uh, it's a gorgeous lens and I got it for like 150 bucks on ebay and that lens probably when it came out was fifty, sixty thousand 60 thousand dollars but uh, you couldn't really use it on a modern camera especially the the mounting wouldn't work Um, and so what I discovered I had to modify the mount on it in order to get it to work with another adapter that would then work on the I have a black magic pocket camera so to get it to even fit on there I had to modify the the rear mounting element on it which I took it off the lens and kind of did everything I needed to do with it to make it fit and then the other thing about those lenses and probably why you could get them uh, I think other people are discovering this now because I've seen the price of them go up
0: they're you're giving like, away your secrets here, Sean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're now
1: like 600 dollars ish in that range that I've been seeing but the lens itself is a 8 millimeter to 112 millimeter zoom which is a pretty decent zoom but it's the size of of the uh, the back glass is too small for a modern camera uh, like a like a black magic. Um, what happens when you put that lens on there, you have a uh, crazy vignette. So you basically see the circle of the back element. So that you're only seeing the, and everything else is black, you know, and you've got this little circle. And that's the reason why most people wouldn't buy that lens, uh, and you can get them for the price that you can get them. But on certain versions of those lenses, they had built-in doublers. So basically there's a magnifier, On the back end of the lens that you can flip, and what the purpose of it originally was for those lenses is it made them twice the focal length. So you could then, you know, on the just a flip of a switch, you could double your focal length. You could go from a 100 to a 200 millimeter zoom, and you know, there's all sorts of cool things you could do with that. Well, what I discovered is that you could take that same lens and put the doubler on it, and now It fills the full frame of my camera so I don't have an 8 to 112 millimeter I actually have a 14 to 220 millimeter lens which is still a great focal length for me to have on my camera I mean that's as wide as I'll ever need it and that's almost as tight as I'll ever need it and so that was the experiment of wanting to make that lens work and figure out how to adapt it to get it to work on my camera and it worked it's it's really pretty incredible uh, and in fact the black magic is there's a crop factor or like a, a, on that so effectively what my camera is, is is I think it's a 22 millimeter to 400 and like 20 450 millimeter zoom and it looks beautiful I did a bunch of test footage with it and uh, again it has those old characteristics that I love it looks like you know, you're shooting something in the 60s or 70s and um, and uh, you know, cost me 150 bucks. So there you go. Um, and I will use it on a project. Uh, I guarantee, somewhere, somehow, I'll end up using that lens um, for something.
0: So you keep them safely stored away. <laughs> yes, somewhere. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I bring them with me on my projects. So um, yeah. So it was so interesting about that ingenue is that it's a it's a French-made lens, and the style of a of mount that it had was. I think it was called a b3 like a bayonet three and J- Japanese lenses made it uh, you know, American all that stuff they all had this b3 mount well I was able to find online b3 adapters to micro four-thirds so I went great here we go I can I can just buy this adapter and it'll work no it didn't work there was a, a piece on that back element that Uh, on that back mount element on the ingenue that was several millimeters deeper than it was on like the cannons of the same era or the other ones that that adapter would work on did not work on mine so I looked I had to really like break it down like what is stopping this adapter from mounting correctly I figured out which pieces it was and then I'm like okay so how do I get this this piece luckily it was aluminum so it was fairly soft that mounting piece so I was able to take metal files, like I said, get it down to the right level, which actually took a long time, longer than I was expecting. And then I went with you know some finer uh, sanding materials and, and got it to be smooth. And then I like you know uh, finished it so that it was wouldn't affect the adapter at all. And then it worked, mounted on there. And and I didn't know if that would change your rear focus element. I, I was a little bit worried that maybe that would affect it. To where this adapter is made for a certain thing and your back glass needs to be a certain distance from your sensor in order for it to work so I wasn't sure by filing this piece down if I would it was a risk I was like I could be possibly ruining this uh, this mount for my lens and it might not it might not work because it'll just be a few millimeters different but luckily it actually worked right out of the gate as soon as I mounted it I was able to focus all the way through and those old the other cool thing about those old lenses is they have a back element adjuster so it's basically a, like a screw a nut that you undo and you can then move and it moves the distance from that back glass so you can really dial it in you can dial them in to to be um, I'm trying to remember the term but it's basically at your widest focal distance you're in focus and when you zoom in through the whole thing you're in focus and only certain lenses can do that and and new lenses don't a lot of them don't do that or they're like sixty thousand dollars like I said that lens will do this but your two thousand dollar canon can't do that you know what I mean so having this lens that has that ability is pretty darn cool Um, and I was able to dial that all in I was I was I was actually really surprised that one worked (laughs) to be honest but I then bought two more of that style lenses to try and experiment one I failed one I can't get it to adapt correctly Uh, but the other one I was it was a canon uh, uh, one was a fujinon I couldn't get the fujinon to work right Um, but the canon I was able to to get to work Um, and I just used that one on a commercial shoot not that long ago and it worked great and again that was a similar focal length so right now it's like a 28 to, to 480 millimeter zoom if you want to know, those are the old ENG lenses.
0: Okay. So those
1: are old, like, uh, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, really like 70s is probably where most of these are from. Um, but they're ENG lenses. Uh, so, like.
0: Um, like Beretta and shows like that. like
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, you can probably find the most of them are, are like Fujinon and Canon, like on eBay and stuff. And they're um, the, I'm trying to think if it's there, the two thirds inch eng lenses is what I'm talking about and they need to have that built-in doubler so it's like a two times focal length piece on it and they, they look really funky they come off the back of the lens that's how you can usually tell they're on there but in the description always I, you know make sure you get one because if you get one that doesn't have that doubler and you try and put it on a modern camera most of them um, it will uh, again like I said you'll just have that big vignette uh, where you know it's not really usable. Um, but once you have that the doubler that's built in onto them, that you know you can never use it really without it on. so you just have to live with this is my new focal length is is the double of this lens you know what I mean So
0: because you said it gets too close to the sensor. It's not that it gets oh. too
1: close to the sensor, it's just that the back element is too small to cover the full width of your sensor. So but what happens is when that with those built-in doublers is it's a piece of glass that basically, Um, if this is the back of the lens if this is your piece of glass this this magnifier comes on top of it and it is bigger than that piece and that magnification magnification it creates the image to be big enough to cover your your whole lens or your whole I'm sorry sensor so you don't you no longer have those vignette on your on your thing so um, yeah it's pretty cool pretty cool little trick I'm not the only one who's discovered it either there's there's other people uh, who have who have experimented with it but definitely um, it's not like a common thing but uh, I always love that stuff like I said I've taken old uh, still camera lenses I've got some Zeiss lenses from the from the 50s and 60s that I've adapted um, from exact uh, amounts uh, which is a really interesting mount um, luckily, I was able to find some people that have made pieces to, to that can adapt that to like Canon mount, um, and uh, and then I take the Canon mount and adapt that to the Micro Four Thirds or you know whatever the the different challenges are, uh, or different camera that we might be putting it on. Um, but I've gotten some great uh, those the, the old zeisses are usually at least a couple hundred uh, dollars. But <clears throat> to me, if you can find a clean one that doesn't have uh, you know, a bunch of scratches on the lens, or a bunch of fungus on the lens. Um, uh, they're still they're really great pieces of glass. Um, I have a 25 millimeter Zeiss um, uh, Carl Zeiss lens from the 50s. That's incredible. It's ex- tack sharp still today, and just a really really nice piece of glass uh, that I got for a couple hundred dollars where anything modern would cost you several thousand at least for that same focal length and and uh, quality
0: how do you protect it from fungus do you keep it away from moisture yeah the, you know the funny thing
1: about fungus is that it actually uh, it's hard to to you know say why some lenses get it and some don't but it is probably it has to do with moisture and and how sealed they are um, most of the time though fungus really won't affect your image too much it affects how light comes in to the lens and will like bend uh, like like uh, kind of the flares so sometimes even a little fungus is kind of cool on an old lens in my opinion Uh, now if it's right in the dead center of your lens maybe that then becomes annoying but if it's just around the edges again it could give you some of those qualities that I actually even like Um, so I won't necessarily turn down a lens (laughs) on eBay if it's got a little fungus on it. it just depends on where it is Um, but things like scratches and things that really will kind of affect the image then obviously you got to stay away from that but uh, um, uh, yeah I mean it depends on what project you're doing if you need something super clean and you want it to look you know, tack sharp like that then those lenses won't be for you but if you're trying to do something that has a little bit more of that style to it then uh, I say go for it experiment with it and and see what you can do because you know to me that's that's what will set your project apart make it make it feel a little different you know
0: how would you know if a lens has fungus on it if you're seeing it on some site that's a selling well I always ask those questions and oh, most awesome. people uh, that I've discovered
1: they will they'll list what's wrong with the lens and stuff like that um, so most of them will say no you know, clean glass no scratches fungus free they'll say something mm-hmm. like that Or they'll talk about the blades. The blades aren't aren't oily because a lot of times the lenses, if the like, they'll have like a a leak in the the. It'll affect how the uh, shutter uh, and the aperture works. Not the shutter, but the the aperture itself. So they'll list like what's you know, you know. You just have to read the details. Then ask questions if you you know. And I'll ask that a lot of times. I'll ask you know, you know. Is it Does it have this or does it have that to to clarify? And again, like I said, sometimes I might be okay with it. But like, oh, is there fungus? Is it like all over the the lens, or is it like just on the edges? You know, and uh, and uh, I might still buy it if it has it, if it if that's what I'm going for, you know, in that moment, and if the price is right, you know.
0: Sean, so I'm hoping we can go to page one of your script for a California Christmas and I'm curious what you like about the opening scene of the movie which is page one of course
1: yeah so uh, the opening is obviously it's meant to establish uh, joseph's character played by uh, josh wickard and he's kind of living this playboy lifestyle big city uh, wealthy Um, obviously he's got uh, uh, someone in bed and uh, you know he's young and he's kind of using his his uh, obviously his status to uh, kind of live carefree in that way so basically the point of it is to set up his character and and for his arc throughout the story because obviously he needs to grow um, he's not the best of guys at this point point. Um, and so it's really I think it's, it helps illustrate that point it sets up who he is And the journey he's going to have to go on whether he likes it or not is basically is is the idea obviously you won't know all of that while seeing this first scene but it sets it up of who he is and where he is at at this point in his life
0: and he's not a total jerk he offers to buy the woman uh, room service (laughs) so you got to give him some props but so yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, again I
1: think those little details is that we we don't want people to just completely hate him right off the bat right Mm -hmm. Uh, and we did have some other things early in early versions and stuff that were like yeah that might make him too much of a jerk you know uh, certainly there's an argument there that he's still a jerk but you know what I'm saying like he has to have some underlying uh, qualities and redeemable uh, pieces that that uh, you want to see him go on a journey of growth and uh, self-growth and and uh, becoming uh, hopefully a better person
0: so before we meet Joseph the main character we have this aerial shot can we talk about the establishing image yes
1: yeah, so the very first shot is kind of coming up off the off the water and, and revealing San Francisco which is uh, you know that's where he is and where his family business is um, so kind of just establishing that whole the Bay Area and the big city and the and the the hustle and bustle of city life because it is a uh, obviously stark contrast to the ranch Uh, that he later goes to and ends up spending a lot of time Um, and we also did some interesting things in color there so the city life has has a little bit cooler of tones to them and when we go to the ranch uh, everything becomes a little bit warmer and and uh, earthier uh, in the tones so that's like a little you know kind of little details that we pay attention to when we're making it probably most people will never notice it but uh, even with that opening shot we wanted to, the color palette of it to be feel cooler in in tone uh, versus the later part of the movie
0: and also too he leaves kind of like one woman in a hotel room and then as he leaves he kind of flirts with a desk clerk or yeah, something yes, and yeah. you see her sort of fa- not not unprofessionally but you so it already sets him up to be sort of this Casanova type
1: correct yes type. yeah he's okay. definitely got that air about him and And uh, you get the sense that uh, you know
0: (laughs) he doesn't hear no a lot.
1: He doesn't hear (laughs) no a lot. It's that hashtag best life thing, right? (laughs) He's living his best life, but you know. Anyways, obviously there's more to it than that, and and at his core, he's he's uh, searching for more.
0: Sure, sure. Um, What do you think the hook is of the first page that makes people want to keep reading?
1: It goes beyond just the first page, I guess, but. The hook of the first page is, is is really the the kind of setting and the character. Like for me, when I read it, I wanted to know more about him. You know, so it's really like, why is he this way? Like, what what makes him? Uh, and especially kind of because he's kind of outright just turns the girl down for a second date. Like right there, it makes you go, wow, that's audacious. Like what? Like what is his story? So hopefully that's the hook. That was for me when I read it uh, because uh, I didn't write this Lauren Swicker didn't and, and when I was sent it, uh, it, it, it that's what grabbed me right away
0: and I think he says kind of like I'll call you or whatever and, she's and like, she no, says no you, no, you won't. won't yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that little piece right there I'm like
1: okay <laughs> she's yeah and and the fact that he can get away with that I think there's probably plenty of people who go well I wouldn't be able to get away with that or you know <laughs> you know, those kinds of things uh, uh, it makes it intriguing and and, and of course the you see that the relationship walking through the hotel lobby the people like him you know and he's he's got that thing about him his charm his charisma um, uh, always makes it more interesting and I think even in the back of my head I'm was even initially you know even right away thinking oh he's going to have some lessons to learn you know what I mean like there's there (laughs) he's probably going to have to go on a journey you know.
0: And sorry he's brought in to be and I hope this isn't a spoiler to be like no, a honeypot yeah. to kind of like infiltrate and and seduce someone that he needs a signature from
1: so basically his his company and his mother who runs the company they haven't been able to get this uh, the owners of this ranch to sell which they need to build a shipping facility uh, for their corporation uh, their, their business and so his mom decides that her son basically doesn't really do anything, you know, he's got a title and works at the company, but what does he actually do? So she recognized he has a certain skill and and it is a younger woman who owns the ranch. And so she says, let's put your actual skills to use. Go out there and get this girl to sell. You know, get this woman, young woman to sell. And so I think he thinks he's gonna be able to waltz in there and, and get his way. And and get the 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 yes that he always hears, um, and uh, and uh, I can say it doesn't go as, as he had planned. Sure, sure. So, and his arc, evolves yes, from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's some case of missing missing identity uh, as well, uh, or misidentity that that not missing, um, uh, misidentity that that happens for him as well in there. Um, that kind of starts him down a totally different journey that that he thought he was going to be going on
0: so looking back on it now what mistakes do you think were there in the first page or was this the sh- actual shooting script and there were no mistakes oh this
1: uh, well this yeah this is definitely not the the first version of the script for sure so this is this is a, uh, closer to the shooting I can't remember if what i sent you is the actual shooting shooting one and gosh it's hard to remember if if there was I think there there was more time taken in, in earlier drafts which I think it took too long to get to those pieces and, it, and it's of course not even just the first page but but that was part of it so I think it got more refined and kind of picked the moments that actually mattered to to convey the the message that we're trying to convey
0: is this still the opening of the movie
1: and yes this is still the opening of the movie. So yeah, it uh, it it stayed and obviously I think it's important again because we have to establish our our character's journey. You know, his character. So Joseph and also Callie, they both have their journeys, um, and they kind of you know their journeys intersect, and that's what they they help each other on their journey. So that's kind of the that's the you know uh, age old kind of love twist there their their uh, their journeys intersect and and of course they need each other to to kind of uh, complete their journey
0: the film American fighter you're the co-writer Sean is that right
1: yes I co-wrote it and directed it
0: oh great okay and it has martial arts elements to it
1: yep oh yeah yep there's martial arts so definitely drew from some of that experience and it's interesting because it takes place in 1981 so it's kind of pre-MMA and that whole thing uh, so it deals with kind of illegal underground fighting um, so there's certainly martial arts involved but there's also this kind of street fighting brawling thing that happens as well and and uh, and wrestling and so it, it integrates a lot of different uh, uh, fighting styles
0: if we take a look at the first page for the screenplay that you co-wrote American Fighter our protagonist is Reza and you see kind of his life it's, it seems like it jumps back to different parts can you talk about that
1: yeah so the main character is actually Ali he the opening of the film which which I felt was was important was to kind of <clears throat> tell this story kind of jumping back and forth and it opens with him in kind of the fight of his life the movie starts with this you see some images some flashes some pieces of this fight and where he's kind of going to be at the lowest point as well and then we take a step back, and the film is then going to lead up to that moment again. Um, and I, the reason for that was it wasn't originally written that way. This was a you know the later into the, the shooting draft, we decided that it was important to have show that element right away. Number one, to kind of it's that big impactful start, like get audience is interested and curious, like, w- wait a minute, why is this happening? Why are these two people fighting? And there's a huge crowd around them, and and uh, you know, what is it all about? And we see our hero fall right like right in this the end of this beginning fight. He gets almost knocked unconscious, and so we go from there to him waking up in his college dorm room, and uh, that's you know several weeks earlier or, or months earlier he's worried about his his family supposed to be flying because he's from Iran and he's worried about and this is 1981 so the setting is the Iraq-Iran war uh, had just started and it was a terrible time in in that area and just like two years earlier was the Iran uh, hostage crisis that happened and so in America at that time uh, it was not a great time to be Iranian um, and so he had to face those kinds of issues but so he wakes up in this college dorm room uh, he's got a roommate who is a good friend and but he's really afraid for his parents he wants them to make it over from Iran safely to the U.S. and so uh, and his roommates trying to assure him that he's going to be fine and uh, <laughs> they've got wrestling practice and so the idea the concept is he is there for like a wrestling scholarship um, and that's part of what helped get him out of Iran Uh, uh, Iran I should say not Iran but Iran uh, helped get him out of Iran uh, because of his wrestling prowess Um, and so uh, he's now trying to help his parents get over um, because his mom is sick she has cancer and so he's trying to get her to to some more Western medicine Um, and that's kind of what jumps off the, the story
0: so in the first page if I remember correctly there's is like a sort of these different flashes so he's getting beat up then you see like a happy moment where he's running and saying mom I'm coming to America look at the letter or something there's a flash of the picture of the Ayatollah Khomeini and Mm -hmm. then there's the mother being hooked up to tubes so all these like sort of things are coming at you
1: yeah that's when he gets uh, knocked unconscious Um, he flashes back to his childhood when he was back in Iran and uh, he's kind of flashing to the moment that he found out uh, that his mother that something was wrong with his mom so that's kind of uh, that's what's happening there Um, he's not running excited that he's going to to America what's happening is actually his father is telling him he's going to send him there because Uh he'll be safer
0: there. oh okay sorry so All he's right. gonna go live with his
1: uncle mm-hmm. um, uh, in America and he's actually disappointed like he's he's scared about this prospect of having to leave his family um, but they you know, recognize that he has the opportunity there he's obviously really good at wrestling and that can that's what's creating this opportunity for him to get out um, of the really bad situation that was happening at that time and so it's almost a nightmare of what he's experiencing um uh, and that leads him into waking up in his dorm room Um, and so yes he hears a new news broadcast you know, that's it's maybe a little bit different in the actual film versus what's on the page but basically there's news broadcasts happening talking about the events that are that are happening during that time Uh, and that kind of crosses with what his father is telling him about I need to send you to America and uh, and then him rushing to see his mother um, and I always had this like kind of haunting image of following him kind of in you know, a slower motion as he's making his way down this hallway to this door that's cracked open and as he as he pushes the door open he sees his mother and she looks at him smiling and as she tries to stand up to talk to him she collapses and that's the the terror he's he's uh, uh, having in that moment and it's actually based on something that really happened to me so that was that was a a moment directly ripped from my own childhood Um, and uh, uh, my mother is still here so I'll preface it that way but she had an aneurysm so it wasn't cancer but it was an aneurysm and she collapsed in a very similar way and it was that terrifying you know uh, and I had my own kind of fevered nightmares for years and years about it, um, and so that's a little piece of me that made it into the the script there. That's melded with other kind of uh, uh, memories from Ali as well, Ali Afshar, because he produced it, and this character is actually based on him. Now this story has some real elements, but other ones are you know we fabricated for 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 the movie. But um, the character himself is based on Ali. And his because he's also a wrestler and all of that stuff and, and he did come over from Iran and uh, and, and all that have some similar experiences there
0: so you really see the stakes are high so it's not just he's being pulled from his homeland leaving his family there's government turmoil his mother is sick so yep. everything's kind of thrown in that first page yep all yeah. stakes are like you know what he's dealing with yep right there okay yep okay did page one did it evolve did it change was it less? definitely did at
1: first? yeah it definitely evolved and and at first we didn't see that fight happening uh, and uh, it right away um, it did always kind of start with that dream so that was there uh, from the beginning but yeah it evolved there was many many different drafts of it and we, we experimented with different ways to open it um, and ultimately that's what we settled on um, was kind of yeah exa- throwing all the all the and I, there is a kind of a funny story to as to why uh, we ended up going that direction and within the movie because the time it was it was the summer um, what well, was the school year after the summer that uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back came out um, and so within that script that was all the rage At the time like everybody was talking about especially obviously the first star wars was such a huge success and then this follow-up with yoda and everything and the the controversial ending of empire strikes back sorry spoilers but (laughs) darth vader is luke's father Um, that's like all anybody talked about at that time and so we worked that into the script I'm a huge star wars nerd myself I love star wars and so a lot of that my personality was coming out through the script in that way too so we have Ali's roommates character is really into Star Wars and he can't believe that Ali has never seen Star Wars so that is a running joke through the whole script and he's doing Yoda impressions very terribly by the way but um, doing them nonetheless and and uh, so I thought that was a really fun thing to to help uh, set the tone and time place that this movie was set um, but the other thing that I thought about was looking at great movies like that like the original star wars how does it open it opens with such a bang I mean it's just right off the bat action is happening spaceships are flying overhead lasers are going you know, you just get all this all the stakes are set right there and so that influenced how the opening pages of our movie um, happened it was like obviously we don't have spaceships and all that fun stuff but we want to throw it in your face right away, like start it with a bang, and hopefully get the audience hooked right there, right from the first flash you see on screen. You're know, like, "Whoa, what's happening? Oh my gosh, it's a fight!" You know, and oh, oh look at this kick and this punch, and oh, he's- oh no, he's he's down already. You know, is is uh, directly kind of influenced from Star Wars uh, in like how the rebels immediately their ship gets captured by the bad guys, and all hope looks lost right away. You know, so.
0: Um, yeah with American Fighter are we establishing I'm sorry is it Reza is it is he, is he the main character or is no it no Ali? no
1: Ali oh sorry yeah. for
0: some reason I thought yeah, it I may have Reza. sent
1: you I may have sent ah, you a, a, okay. a draft that had the wrong name like ah, okay no we did problem. play with it not being uh, Ali at one point ah, okay. so that's probably the draft you got no uh, problem again was I was for, searching yeah. for those drafts and I couldn't find because again it was a different computer three years ago <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: so no I problem. think I must
1: have sent you the wrong one uh, on accident
0: in page one of American fighter are we establishing Ali's kind of personality or we're just more seeing the stakes that he's against
1: I think yeah it's more about the stakes that he's against because in the first page we don't get to see maybe a ton of his personality um, but that does come out right kind of in this in the the subsequent pages you get to know him a little bit more um, and uh, and it comes out in some of the playful banter with him and his roommate and and uh, but the, the story does get very serious very quick for Ali so unfortunately he doesn't get uh, uh, a lot of light-hearted time uh, in this in this particular film
0: is this first page still the opening of the movie for American uh, Fighter?
1: more or less yeah there was some tweaks that that in some stylistic choices that we played with but uh, it's not exactly but yeah there's a lot of it is still there
0: so what was the log line for American fighter? did you oh or would, like if you were going to do your elevator pitch what was it sort of oh my gosh it's been so long fight it's club meets so wrestler meets yeah it's it's, it's it's it's
1: uh, uh, it really is it's like got equal parts rocky and and karate kid I mean those are those it's got a lot of heart um, and, and and blood sport I don't know how many people know blood sport but uh, it's it's kind of a, an amalgamation of all those things um but again like I said the the heart and the, the reason why he fights is to try and save his mother so that's kind of at the core of it um, uh, and uh, that kind of sets it apart from those movies in a, in a way um, but yeah it's the it's the journey for this character ally like uh, How far is he willing to go for for love, you know, for family? And it's it's a love story about his. There is a love interest in it, and played by the awesome Allison Page. She's amazing. But the the core of the love story is actually that for his his mother, you know, and he's willing to do anything to help save her, Um, and including fighting in underground (laughs) bare knuckle brawls, putting his you know life at risk um, if it means he can. Uh, save her because the story is is actually very tragic his father is killed um, uh, when they try and leave the country and it has to deal with the uh, with the the, uh, the the events that were going on at that time so
0: how many drafts did you have of the script oh
1: my gosh lots lots probably too many to count I like official drafts You know, we go through the different colors once we, we started pre-production Um, probably a good six or seven or something like that Um, that's like from initial like breaking maybe more like five Um, but yeah all in at least a dozen yeah at least probably more